1: right fellow homosexuals let's get right down to brass tacks okay we know why you're here we're not going to give you any frills this week troy and i aren't going to talk about our personal lives or bullshit about what's going on in our relationships we're just going right to it we have a guest and uh i want to get right to the point troy you want to announce him uh
2: sure we have we are we are very lucky very lucky to have very lucky gentlemen join our little uh little podcast endeavor uh, we have the one and only Mike, Mikey, Mike, Joseph,
1: from... Do you prefer Mikey or Mike? Let's get... get I honestly don't have a preference, okay. Um, <laughs> so whatever you guys want to do, I'm, I'm good with whatever. Troy, finish what you're saying.
2: Well, we know you from social media, so on social media, you're Mikey, so we'll stick with that. But anyways, we want to welcome from the uh, cult hit, the festival darling film that's taking the indie horror community by storm really i mean this is this film's gotten you guys some great press death drop gorgeous we welcome mikey to our podcast
0: thank you so much for having me
1: thank you for coming on absolutely we're excited to have you of course uh we're super excited to just like talk to you in this in the aspect of having watched this like project grow for you and like over the last year from the time it frame it hit Uh, festivals to like now, like it's hitting the mainstream and it's like being acknowledged by the mainstream. I think that's like what all of us as indie filmmakers want. And for you guys to get that with your, this is your freshman project, correct?
0: Yeah. We like, circumvented the whole short thing too we just went straight to a feature
1: (laughs) your first thing like you just nailed it like how does that feel like a lot of people i think they're always like there's a learning curve and like we'll get one eventually and like you fuckers just like came like right out of the gate you're like you know fuck it we're gonna make something awesome and like people are gonna respond and respond they did and like you what are some of the platforms that have recently shared your your film Oh, goodness. Um, well, I'm not
0: going to pretend that Death Drop Gorgeous wasn't a learning curve, because it certainly was, and we definitely learned a lot. Um, but right now, like, uh, God, uh, we were in the New York Times, which was kind of insane. Um, we've been on, we had this really great interview with Rue Morgue that I really love. Um, we were on Fangoria. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of silly. Um, and... Um, I hate, like, just using the same words, like, surreal, but, like, I don't know how else to describe it. Oh, um, no, for sure. Kind of, that totally yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's been it's been very, very insane
1: and surreal, but um, really exciting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm sure it must be super thrilling. And, like, I know you guys are already working on your next project, but that's got to be coming off of something that's already got eyes on it right away, like, has this amount of attention, you know, that there's going to be like a level of expectation for your next project. Like people are going to be awaiting your next project and that has to be super fucking exciting. But also like just having seen the promo material that you dropped for St. Drogo, you guys have like, well, Troy and I talk about this all the time. There's like a goal of each project. The goal is to like one up yourself from the last one and like exceed the expectations you set for yourself with the previous project. And, like, already, like, looking at the promo material, like, the visual quality, light years, better. Um, Just, like, the aesthetic. Like, there's definitely a vision in it. It's nothing like your last film. Uh, I, you know, hats off to you boys. I love watching the journey that you guys are going on. But, like, it does have to be thrilling. And, like, you have to be very proud. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reception
0: we're getting with Death Drop Gorgeous, because Drogo for a little bit, that's the next project, St. Drogo, is... um was sort of in um, stasis, at least in the summer, because, one, we kind of accomplished everything we could with whatever money we had, like, left over. Um, And also, the movie takes place in the winter. So we kind of needed to wait for the winter to return. Um, But seeing the reception for Death Drop has only, like, kind of, like, invigorated me to get back to it, because I actually, right now, just want to get Drogo done, not because I'm, like tired of it because I just want to get to that next step of having people see it and having it be out there. But um, yeah, we we definitely learned a lot with Death Drop. So we wanted to um, showcase that with our next project. Um, so visually, we definitely, and on like a technical level, I've definitely improved. Um, and I think um, storytelling, we've became better storytellers. It's a lot, the, the through line is a lot more like clear. It's a lot less like When we were making death drop we were like drinking whiskey and just like throwing shit around and like having fun and we didn't necessarily have this um long-term plan that we would even actually shoot it like we were just kind of like writing um and so now with knowing that we wanted to make saint drogo in mind we were like a little more um aware (laughs) of, of of what we were writing
2: yeah. And, and and I'm just going to, you know, go off of Roger. Everything that I, I've seen so far from Saint Drogo looks just stunning. The cinematography, the imagery, it it is, it is really refreshing when you see a filmmaker or filmmakers that do um, up the ante with each film and aren't afraid to do something different than what's probably expected because when you make a film like death drop gorgeous which is pure camp but camp in the funnest way possible um over the top just crazy over the top i think i think we perhaps me perhaps were one of the first people to maybe see it because you guys submitted it to houston horror film festival a year i mean it's been over a year ago yeah. and i remember watching it and just this big old grin on my face and i i told my uh, partner with the, the the film festival tony uh who runs the festival with me uh, i told him this film you got to watch this if you haven't watched it yet because it is it is just a blast and it's something i've never seen before uh so so you have to take that into account when you're making a second film because people are going to maybe expect the same thing and while you kind of want to give it to them because fans of death drop gorgeous obviously are fans of that movie because it is campy and over the top but you guys aren't afraid to just totally do something 180 degrees different uh, to show your growth, to show that you're versatile as filmmakers. And I absolutely love that. I see so many indie filmmakers get stuck in a rut and I don't know if it's purposeful or if it's just, they're not comfortable getting out of their comfort level that they never grow. They just keep churning out the same things over and over. I'm speaking about myself. No, I'm just, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> well, people are probably going to say this, so he needs to shut up because all his films are, you know. but um, you know what I mean. You know what I mean.
0: So. Yeah. No. The the when we've been doing interviews for Death Drop, uh, the most one of the most common questions we're getting is like, is there a sequel? <laughs> and like, honestly, yeah. there isn't. Like, we haven't. Like, we joke about it, and obviously, we set it up in such a way that like there could be a sequel, or there could be a prequel sequel, or whatever but it's just not on the table right now and not because we don't love the project but it's just like we we need to have our hearts need to be in it and i think we um to be honest like i don't watch a lot of camp horror like i don't watch like i love john waters movies but that's not necessarily camp horror that's just like trash cinema um but i don't watch a lot of camp horror so i always want to sort of um at least, I don't know, so that was a challenge for me. Chris Delpy, who's the other co-creator, um, really loves comedy horror, and I think that's where a lot of that, those elements come came from him. Um, but yeah, no, we did take a risk like doing a sort of like a slow burn um, folk horror for St. Drogo. Um, I was watching a lot of like like 1970s horror two at the time. So it'll be it'll definitely be totally different, which is a little bit of a risk that I'm like, kind of nervous about. um, But still exciting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's funny that you said that about the sequel, because actually, I had posted, you know, that I was watching House of the Devil and that you were going to be the guest on the podcast and someone actually messaged me, they'll know who I'm talking about, and asked me to ask you if there was going to be a sequel. So that's really funny uh, that you that you bring yeah. that up as a frequently asked question because, yeah, someone's like, oh, you need to ask them if there's going to be a sequel. Um, but also I have to say a huge, huge, huge cheer to gay filmmakers making gay films.
1: Okay, that mm-hmm. is another conversation yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. that I've had with Roger many times is there are, there are so many, uh, it seems like, well, gay horror fans in general, but also gay horror, gay filmmakers that are making horror films, but not a lot of them are actually doing gay themed films. Uh, and so it's, it's really cool to see you guys just come out of the gate and be, Oh, we are doing gay themed. We're doing gay themed films. We're gay filmmakers. We, we we're going to go right into that. Um, I, I, I kind of did the sort of the same thing, but my films got progressively gayer. Like, my first film, Party Night, was not gay at all, then Stirring, and Mrs. Claus had a gay character, and then Teacher Shortage is gay, and my next film is, like, super gay. So, so, you you know, you you gotta, there's an audience, there's an audience, and I'm surprised more gay filmmakers haven't, um, you know, played into the
0: audience that's there. I think we're actually doing the opposite of you. <laughs> I think we You're de- gay. Yeah, we started it. <laughs> really gay with Death Drop Gorgeous and Saint Drogo's still pretty gay, but it's maybe a little less like um I don't know, like over yeah, the top. In your face and and then it. um our uh, Yeah, and then our third film which we know we're going to do is called Queen of the Rats, which we do want to tackle after Saint Drogo. And there's queer elements in Queen of the Rats, but it's it's definitely not as gay. Um so uh, yeah we're just we're just going backwards
1: <laughs> one thing I've thought was really refreshing um is because I was just doing a little research on like some of the reception you guys have been getting because there is like a lot of positive word of mouth like we're talking about the queer fan base, and I think they've been craving something like this, you know, like there's such a gaze and outcasts and just you know the the dregs of society, you know, all of, all of us minorities, I think we tend to gravitate towards the horror genre because it always revolves around those kinds of characters. Uh, it, it accepted us before any other genre did. So I think that's why we all cling to it. Um, and I think they've been waiting for a film in this vein. And that's why they're so positive about it. And it's giving them everything that they want, you know. But I also find it refreshing that I was uh, listening to a review that a podcast did on drop on death drop gorgeous um and it's a bunch of straight guys and the one guy basically like he says you know i'm not necessarily going to seek a movie like this out but if you're going to bring me into your world bring me into your world and this movie successfully brought me into that world there are drag queens in sh- like grocery stores <laughs> like 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 it is every every cop is gay like everything about it is gay and he's like I, honestly i fucking loved it and this is like a straight dude and I'm like this is when you know you hit that perfect like level of like if you're gonna just embrace it like you said John Waters John Waters his early movies became called classics but when they first came out they were like kind of taboo people weren't watching them it wasn't until he started to mainstreamify a little bit and you had the hairsprays and you know his bigger titles that he really became known to public knowledge you know and I think what you guys did is you found that perfect balance of like that john waters weirdness but also like everything that's big in the mainstream right now like it's still gory you've got drag queens every fucking woman and her sister loves a drag queen like it's just you've got enough for you've got something for everybody that they're going to be receptive to and um i think you guys just did a really good job of finding that balance and giving us a mainstream gay indie film yeah we really wanted to marry those two worlds because like I mean,
0: obviously, with three writers and three directors, all our influences are kind of being poured into sort of this, like, melting pot. Like, like Brandon's, like, the 80s slasher gore fan. So, like, that's where we got, like, all of the fucking disgusting um, <laughs> moments from. And then, you know, Chris is bringing, like, the comedy. And I think just, like, us all, like, having a say and how it played out definitely... Um, created sort of this smorgasbord of, of nonsense. Um, but yeah, I remember listening to that podcast because I I remember like we very distinctly were made the, the executive decision, like drag queens will never be out of drag in this movie, except in like the one bathtub moment, which if anyone's listening, I'm not going to spoil it. But we were very specific, like, okay, this will be like the stripped down, um all the, the single stripped down moment for a drag queen. And yeah, so we we wanted to create sort of like um, we wanted to make the nightlife uh, in the film feel almost like a fantasy land, like feel almost kind of like unreal. And that's where, you know, we get your your Jolli lighting and we get like these over the top drag queens and these like absurd performances. And then we wanted to make the daytime very drab and like kind of like depressing and like Old West um, looking. And I think. I think, like, queer spaces do feel kind of magical to us and do sort of feel like a fantasy land because it's, like, this sort of... um, It's, like, an escape for a lot of folks to get to, like, a bar or a club and, like, they get to live out um, what they've been waiting, like, the entire week to do. So, yeah, we wanted to make sure um, if we were taking you into this world, we were going
1: to make it as colorful and ridiculous as possible. You know, they use the term a lot just in the gay culture of like friends of Dorothy and just in a specific moment when you're talking about this, I think of the moment, the wizard of Oz where the house like lands and she's walking through the black and white and she opens the door and it's like that technicolor, like, yeah, yeah. Homosexuality. And like, it just, but like, it makes that term make a lot of sense. And you're absolutely right about these venues. They almost become like, they become like an alternate reality. Um, and it is like heightened reality. And like, uh, death Rock gorgeous does such a good job of like, just, I mean, bam, you hit the audience with it. Like, everything is like a gay bar on, like, on cocaine. I hate to say on cocaine, but, like, on cocaine. <laughs> like, which is probably was. But, like, I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, you guys did such a great job of just really, like, if it's someone who's not normally in that scene, they're going to want to be in that scene. Um And uh, it's super enjoyable. If anyone listening to this has not seen Death Drop Gorgeous, you can get it on all kinds of major streaming services. Give us a few of them, Mikey. Yeah,
0: it's on iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google Play. Oh, God. If you go to... So our our distributor is Dark Star Pictures. They have a whole link tree of everywhere you can watch it, and there's much more that I'm missing. Um, Xfinity or something, I have no idea. Um, It's easy to
1: find right now, basically.
0: Yeah, essentially it's it's in most things um and i think we're also getting dvds as well so if people want dvds yeah you fucking better i mean yeah. this is one that you to to it. Release, need to own i need
1: to yeah 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 i yeah i need to have a hard copy of it uh- <laughs>
2: it's a great way to start <laughs> it's also going to be a great yeah. way to
1: start uh june for pride month too. so i'm gonna i have plenty of time throughout the year i'd want to knock this movie out oh yeah absolutely i was gonna say there's also <laughs> Like, weirdly, like Christmas
0: themes in it, so it's also great for Christmas. <laughs> it's a film for all seasons. It's for all seasons. A yeah, film for yeah. all seasons.
1: Um, but, and then just while we're on it, also, just I want to remind everybody that the crowdfunder for St. Drogo is currently live. What date do people have um, until to donate? So, to actually, that? Indiegogo has this sort of
0: option where you can just kind of like leave it open, which is kind of weird and crazy. And the only reason why we're doing that is if like folks find out about it after, because One of the things we learned making Death Drop Gorgeous, like I said, it was a learning curve, was all the post-production costs that suddenly Uh appear and you're like, oh, that's 10 grand we didn't account for. Um, And so we're just going to leave it open and should like someone stumble upon Death Drop Gorgeous and want to see what we're doing and then want to support the next thing, um, it'll still be still be up and running. Um, But even... I like money is tough right now for a lot of folks. So even just sharing the link is like super helpful. Um, we got a we got like a little teaser concept video up there that um, we're really excited for people to see. So yeah.
1: Oh, and it looks great. I mean, honestly, what you guys have it up does. there already looks great. I urge anyone listening to go check it out. Um, and yeah, I I think that's really smart to keep your donations open because I think you're going to see just a continued surge of attention now that you, I mean, your movie technically just hit. When did it drop? Uh, September, I think it was sep- September 10th. I, it was a Friday.
0: Um, I, oh, it was the same Friday that Malignant dropped. So
1: um, it, yeah. <laughs> I just watched that last night. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the same Friday Malignant dropped, we we also became available. Um, so yeah, I think it was September 10th. So it's only been, yeah, a couple three weeks or so i guess we're at the end of september
1: yeah awesome i mean when we're going into the season like if anyone wants to watch a movie like death crap gorgeous it's it's going to be right now so you guys got perfect timing with that um but i mean hey with that being said gentlemen i have literally all week been like chomping at the bit to talk about our selection this week with you i mean with you troy to begin with because we always have fun but mikey i know you said this title is like one that you really appreciate and i feel the same way and i think we're gonna have a really good conversation i'm super excited yeah me too yeah so guys in case anyone listening is not aware somehow some way uh we are going to dive deep into our review this week and the title is the house of the devil it's a 2009 indie gem directed by ty west whom i love
2: absolutely one of my favorite indie horror
1: directors by far yeah, and even like another reason I love him is because he has like a small part in the movie You're Next. You're and Next. That, I'm like yeah. I love him for that. I love yeah, him. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he. I mean, <laughs> it's it's sort of
2: like you know, it's it's sort of like the Death Drop Gorgeous crew. It's like a, there's a little group of those guys that work together all the time. It's him, AJ Bowen, um, yeah, LC Holt. They all work together. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But. And AJ Bowen is in House of the Devil.
1: AJ Bowen, who is a, a Ty West staple, and he, when you look at AJ Bowen's resume, like I sometimes forget how much I, I just like him because of his credits. Because he also, Your Next, and he's got a great role in Your Next. Um, he's in The Signal. I don't know if you guys remember that The Signal. I do. Yeah, that's a good movie yeah it's really really good. uh the Sacrament,
2: obviously one of my that's my favorite Ty West movie. I'm sorry. I love the House of the Devil but Sacrament
1: edges edges it out a, just a tad just a tad. I get it. I get it Mikey uh when did you like become familiar with this title like and honestly, why did you choose this title? like I would like to hear what about this film really captured you? Oh, gosh.
0: Um, Well, 2009 is when it came out, but I don't think I saw that when it came out. I feel like I saw it like years later. And I think it was actually Brandon, my uh, co-creator, who introduced it to me um, as... Because when we were talking about making Death Wrap Gorgeous, it was like 2000... I forget what year it was. was. A long time ago. Um... But um, one of the things we were talking about is sort of the lack at the time of, like, horror movies we really loved. And I remember this was one he really loved and he suggested to me. And I watched it and I just thought it was done, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just done so well. Like, so many aspects of it are so fascinating. And when I look, when I was reading up about it, I was like, this was made in 2009? Like, I feel like it's still, like, great for today. Um, ahead, like, definitely ahead of its time. Despite the fact that it like takes place in the '80s, um, and yeah, I just remember being blown away um, at the pacing of it, the like how it's like this very drawn out slow burn, but you know, like it's going to be bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I think it's just great all around. I think um, probably of the Thai West movies I've seen is is my favorite. I did enjoy The Sacrament. I liked The Innkeepers a lot. I. Felt that The Innkeepers started off a lot stronger than it ended. Um, but with House of the Devil, I just think it's like tens across the board.
2: Have you seen his first film called The
0: Roost? I have not seen that. Okay. I think, is it? I feel like Brandon's also talked to me about that one, but I haven't seen it.
2: It's pretty fun. Tom Noonan is in it, and he actually is like the narrator of the film. And it's oh, okay. just this very, like, sort of like creepshow esque. Uh, it's like a segment you would find in, in like a creep show movie uh but it's drawn out into a feature length film about a group of kids on their way to a concert and they get um their car breaks down and they go seek help at like this abandoned farm that is overrun by uh bats that have like a like a disease like that rabies that turn you into like literally a zombie it's oh, pretty, wow. yeah it's pretty cool it's 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 a, it's another very slow burn uh it takes a while to get to the ending but that's just his style so if you get a chance check it out but this
3: was his i think
2: his second film this was the one he did after the roost and it definitely ups like we talked about ups his game quite a bit um because you watch this film and it looks like it's the 80s i mean oh yeah everything in this film looks like the attention to detail to make it look like the 80s is astonishing I mean, you see, there was like this period. I would, I want to say, like in the like the early two thousand tens, maybe about a, a t- ten years ago, where you saw a lot of these like eighties. They claimed to be like eighties throwbacks style films, but they really didn't look it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one does. Yeah, this one does I, it right.
0: I, yeah, it does it in a way that like it also doesn't feel like pastiche. Like it doesn't feel like cheap about it. Like I actually um felt it really decided to immerse itself in in the aesthetic of it but not in a way that just felt superficial um
2: well it's yeah it's a lot it's a lot of the camera work is very much what you would see in the 70s and 80s um and yeah it's just i mean even right from the opening shot you know you get uh, our our lead character Samantha played by Jocelyn Donahue yeah it's just she's she's checking out a Uh, a little apartment off campus. And I totally forgot that D Wallace was in this movie. Totally forgot. Yeah.
1: Minor, minor role, but like, give me D Wallace any day of the fucking week. Um, She's, I think that D Wallace is like one of the most overlooked icons of the genre. Like when you talk scream Queens, I mean, if you think about the, the credits she has under her belt, she's got Cujo, the howling, uh critters the hills have eyes the frighteners popcorn like she's got so many and for some reason i feel sometimes she falls by the wayside and i love whenever i see her in a movie i am like i'm on board i don't care how cheesy it is um because she always kind of amplifies it for me she brings it up um regarding the opposite her in the sequence when you've got jocelyn donahue who and i think it's like one of her first films um what uh perfect casting (laughs) like this girl her body structure like the awkwardness the way she sits her like her jawbone structure like she is just so demure and like delicate and frail and she fits this role so perfectly yeah there's something so natural
0: about all her delivery too um in a way that just feels believable um is one of the things i was like noting as I was rewatching it is just how I don't know. And there's not necessarily like this ginormous range. Like it's not like she has a lot of um, a lot going on scene to scene, but there's, there's a believability there that just like really kind of takes you in. And why isn't she a bigger thing? I know she was in Dr. Sleep um, with the actress who I always mistake her for. The, the girl from Star, the girl from yeah. Starry Eyes, they look like almost the same, just very slightly. Oh, Alex,
2: Alex, yeah, Alex Esso, yeah, yeah they really do look is, but the I, same. I feel like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like she should have a bigger, a bigger career. I, mean, I was just gonna say she's so engaging in this that you, it, she's enchanting to watch. Uh, if you think about it, she had a huge t- weight on her shoulders to pretty much carry this film. I mean, she's in the film. She's the only one in the film, probably ninety percent of the running time. Uh, so you have no choice but to either get on board with what she's doing in terms of acting and, and the little quirk she's bringing into the character, or, or it's going to be a miserable, you know, hour and a half for you. But she she nails it. I, I think I I first time I saw it because I saw this probably when it came out in two thousand nine. I didn't don't remember much about like. I didn't remember how engaging she was as a character, but I really I- enjoyed her performance in this quite a bit.
1: I think like a really important thing about her performance in this film is it's very important that this character be likable to the audience, like especially to have the Haftan impact during the second half of the movie. You've got to make sure that this character is relatable and likable. And aside from her great performance, it's just the the simplicity of the writing. She's written very much to sound like a a college sophomore like it is it's smart simple writing the dialogue isn't too uh lavish or flowery it's just very like very much how I expect someone in her age range to deliver it and she also looks so of that era she just fits she like naturally just fits right in with all of it but she's above all like i said she's likable like you like her she's very relatable she's awkward the little dance number she has later in the movie i mean like adorable I can watch that Luke for hours. So they do. They did a really great job of of picking a strong, focal girl for this film.
2: Yeah, feathered feathered hair and all, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> feathered hair and all. And then something like I noticed watching it again recently, um, and we can get more into it as we get further in the plot. But she's always I keep I was noticing she's always positioned. Um, in comparison to other characters who are, like, not as, like, wholehearted as her. So, like, the opening thing at the the um, the showing of this apartment, um, D Wallace says, like, I was showing it to another girl, but I don't like her as much as I like you, right? And it starts there. And then from, like, then we meet her roommate, and then we meet her friend, and she's always, like, the good one next to all. So I think like that's probably in part of like making her likable or caring about her. Um, And so I was noticing that I was like, they keep like positioning her or comparing her to other um, women mostly. um, And those women and their infringements and all the bad things they're doing. But the next to her, who's just trying to be good. um, I thought was really interesting. I also thought it was really interesting that in this opening scene, the first like thing the landlady d wallace is trying to teach her is always trust your gut which i think is just like the overarching like theme of this is like no like you should trust your gut like you should if what
1: if you feel something inside of you you should like go with that yeah this whole script has a lot of tidbits of dialogue that either it references again later in the movie or kind of winks at or acknowledges for example the volvo line I mean like it's really good at planting these little seeds that kind of sprout up again later on in the the story which I mean which obviously we will touch on because it happens all throughout it. But this whole opening segment with D Wallace basically offering her this apartment, this house for a reasonable amount of money um and uh she takes it. She doesn't have all of the funds but she takes it and she's confident that somehow she's going to get it and it launches into this phenomenal opening credit sequence that really just sets the tone for everything uh, because it, it does feel straight out of the era
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and what a f- what an interesting um idea that like <laughs> someone like trying so hard to make rent and how that's still <laughs> applicable today like how like we will probably do whatever we can and break our backs to make sure we have enough money for rent. But and, the, and this place was only
2: $300 a month.
0: <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> right, 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 right.
2: But <laughs> I like the open. but you know, that that that's a that's kind of, is a really big part of the film in terms of her driving motivation for making choices that we as the audience are like, oh, come on, girl, really? What are you doing? But this opening scene sets it up because we know she does not have money she does not have the $300. She is, she's desperate. She wants to move away from her roommate and we very soon see why. And I'd want to get the fuck out of there too. Um, so it kind of sets into motion, like the idea of her making some decisions later on in the script that we, as the audience generally would be like, what the fuck are you doing girl? But we understand now why she's doing it. So she doesn't come off as one of those stupid things slasher horror film characters because we get it we know why she's making the decisions we know it's bad but at least we understand why she's
1: doing it yeah and she's Mm -hmm. she's very much a character who's um i find it very easy to sympathize for or sympathize with you know um in in the sense that yeah you're absolutely right like every decision she makes for the most part is reasonable I mean, she has moments of suspicion. It's voiced in conversation with her friend and so forth. But uh, it's all laid out there, like what she's trying to do, what she needs the money for, what the time frame is, the fact that she's rushed to do it. She even has an option to borrow money, but she declines it. She'd rather get it herself, which makes her even more likable. You know, so it's very strategically played. And the, the, the script is is pretty flawless in that, in that fact. It really makes sure that you like this girl and you feel bad for her.
0: Right. And you want to see her win. And because she's like, I don't know, she's like wholesome and she's like a good person and she wants to work hard for for her money versus like I just think about uh, Greta Gerwig's character, like tearing down the posters or whatever, like like just things like that. Like, uh, I, I, it's so interesting. Sorry, I'm getting ahead. Uh, but like how Greta Gerwig is always eating something and like kind of disgustingly, or they like amped the audio so she like sounds disgusting. Yeah, a- but anyway.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the opening the opening credit sequence is definitely very very late seventies eighties. It's her after she's views this apartment and agrees to. Um, Taken and D Wallace graciously waves the deposit, waves any fees, just says, "Hey, give me three hundred dollars on Monday for the first month's rent, and we're good to go." And then we get the opening credit sequence, which is her walking back from the apartment onto the college campus, back to her dorm. And you get the bright yellow uh, title cards and the freeze frame uh, with the, the the title cards. It's it's very very late seventies, very eighties, but it's again, it's not like it doesn't come off as cheesy mm-hmm. or
1: like phony it actually works really well yeah once we um once we cut out of this like a pretty long drawn out title sequence but i love it because it just keeps like giving you these like really great zooms and everything like they do really well with it you have her um you have a moment where she tries to get into her her dorm and there's the whole like sock on the doorknob and her roommate like we all know a heather we've all been a heather I, I think we've all been there um but she's obviously like banging her boyfriend and you can hear the moans and again right away they establish why she does not want to be living in this situation Um, And it leads her, it causes her to walk back across campus up to, there's basically one of those, like, billboards on campus where people pin flyers and things to draw people's attention. And obviously, like, the main flyer is a babysitting flyer. But I don't know, does anyone take a time to, like, examine the flyers around this flyer? Because, like, there's a man, like, with a missing cat, and it's, like, a portrait of him, like, holding his cat. Like, it's, like, a glamour shot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't see (laughs) it.
3: No, I, I need to go back.
0: I just kept being like weirdly focused on like these folks that are about to lure her in decided to <laughs> make the S a dollar sign. <laughs> a like, dollar sign. I kept, yeah. I kept yeah. being like, I... is this like 90s little? Right. Kid? Like, <laughs> They're I really going to get it. it, it <laughs> it's, it's very.
1: But another thing to yeah, notice yeah, yeah. on this, and this is again, their, their attention to detail with this is, is pretty flawless. um Every other sign other than the missing cat sign on this billboard is about the eclipse. It's about chances to view the eclipse. Yes. It's about scientific information I saw on the that. eclipse. One thing they do right away is they make it clear there's a fucking eclipse coming and it's a big deal.
2: <laughs> oh, we even get a news. We
1: even get a newscast. <laughs> I love it that here newscast. Up. <laughs> but
2: uh, yeah, so she she takes the little uh, number from the uh, babysitter wanted poster and she goes to a payphone to call. And she doesn't get an answer, so she leaves a message on the answering machine, leaving her phone number, right? She leaves her phone number. This is like the first indication that something's probably not right. Yeah, already. Because she walks away, and all of a sudden, the payphone starts to ring. And she goes back and answers it, and lo and behold, it's the guy who's put the babysitter sign up. And... She's a little bit no, more nonchalant about it than I would be because she's right. like, oh, well, how'd you get this number? He doesn't even answer her and she doesn't press it. To me, I'd be like, uh, dude, what the hell? How did <laughs> I left you my number? Why are you calling back on a payphone? This is not this is weird.
1: But she totally ignores it. Can we take a moment to acknowledge Tom Noonan? I was voice. just going to say
0: that I would like when I when I first watched this movie, I remember thinking like this is such a specific casting choice and these like these are specific act acting decisions that are so unnerving to me like the way he speaks is so calm but also like i don't know like he's somewhere else it's very it's very unnerving and i remember thinking that over the phone i would I don't know again a, a moment where you're like i'm not gonna take this job <laughs>
1: um yeah it's the complete opposite of what I would have expected them to take a character like this. When you think of what's going to happen, they give him this like meekness and this like yeah, this uns- this complete like lack of certainty. Yeah, and um, almost like his mind and, is and, going like he
0: forgets he forgets yeah. he says things, and it's like yeah, I don't know they're, they're, you don't find him threatening. Yeah, he's not formidable yeah, yeah. at, yeah. yeah. at all. <laughs> he
2: he he sounds he doesn't sound like he's too sure of himself throughout the whole movie. Like like. It's yeah, it's a very odd choice, but it actually works to make the character that just more because it, it makes you question their motives and, and what exactly is going on. We obviously know it's a horror movie. It's called House of the Devil. She's going to this isolated house to babysit. We know something's going to happen. But because of his how he plays this character, we're not 100 percent sure what it is going to be um, until the end kind of kind of comes and we, we get, you know, the, the reveal, but we will get there. So he calls her back on the payphone and he wants to, she's interested in the job. He wants to meet her. So he tells her to meet him in front of the student um, activity center. And, but he doesn't tell her when, and when she, she asks him now and he like hangs up without telling her. So uh, she goes, tracks over to the student activity center and camps out on the stairways waiting for him. And he never shows up.
1: There's a point as she's like making her journey over there where she goes to get her backpack and she stops back she's able to get into her dorm now and while she's grabbing the bag like her uh her roommate's like fuck buddy of the week like hits on her, her. <laughs> and i'm like yeah. again we've all been there like uh. <laughs> and depending on who it is i might be like, ah. but like
2: <laughs> she,
1: uh, she is not pleased and it's just one more reason for her to want to get the fuck out of there
2: well, I love every time she goes into the dorm, the camera angle is super low. So all you see is her feet, but you see how disgusting right. the one side of the dorm room is. It's yeah. like garbage and clothes everywhere. Right. And then when she gets to her side, there's absolutely nothing on the floor. It's like clean. So you can totally tell, yeah, she wants out of there. And I, yeah. I don't blame her.
0: And I think that just goes like back to like these like con- these, like stark contrasts that they have Samantha next to these other characters who are like, like her roommate is a garbage person who is very inconsiderate of, inconsiderate of her other roommate. Um, so again, like we're supposed to care about this girl. Like this is a nice girl. Like she's like got a good head on her shoulders. And I think that's just why, yeah, as we go on with this, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but I think that's just
1: like why we're rooting for her um, throughout the movie. She finally ventures to meet up with her friend Megan at a pizza shop. And this is the first time we see Greta Gerwig, who, like, by the way, since this has blown up and to be her own thing, and has like a resume that, well, an Academy Award-nominated resume. So we all know Greta Gerwig, but this is her in this like unusually small role. But God, she like fucking seals the show every time she's on camera. And like you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like the way she eats this pizza, it's <laughs> like, she makes me want pizza so fucking bad. Like, I'm not, it's so disgusting. <laughs>
0: It is. It's. It's like not. It's like not ASMR, but it's like an almost ASMR. And it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was watching it again today, like just like revisiting it, I was sitting watching it, and this is, I think goes back to how committed Ty West is, to like make this film. Like I felt like I was in that pizza shop, like the wood paneling of everything. Like you know that food is fucking greasy and disgusting and salty, and I immediately was like, "I'm so hungry right now." And I paused it to go get a, <laughs> a snack because, <laughs> like, I could like I could like taste the 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 grease in my mouth. Um, but
1: yeah, no, she is really. She's eating that pizza and we hear every crunch we do and i do want to acknowledge that she specifically makes a line a reference while she's eating the pizza like she's devouring it but then she's like this pizza is disgusting but then she eats a little bit more of it yeah but and she keeps like making a face that she's like not happy with the pizza she's not satisfied with the pizza which again is something that is subtly like referenced later when there's a moment where a character's eating pizza and they're like "Uh, uh," you you can tell it's literally like in their mind they're like. And is it just me? Is it this pizza? Or is there something really off about it? We'll get to it. But that like the choice to have that little moment with Megan's character, I thought was really subtle and really smart.
2: Yeah, because it's also the point where Megan offers uh, Samantha the money. She's like, my dad will give it. My All I need to do is call my dad and he will. He doesn't care. And this is when Samantha's like, no, 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 don't do that. Um, I, I'll, I'll figure it out. And Megan makes the comment that. It is really weird that those guys, that guy stood you up. Megan is like the voice of reason throughout this film, even though she's in it, you know, a, a minuscule amount of time. She is every time she's in it, she is the one that is saying kind of what we're thinking. Uh, and her performance, yeah, definitely steals the show. It's, she she reminds me sort of like we reviewed this film uh, several episodes ago, Roger, but it's like Anna Faris and May, just this like secondary yeah. character that just kind of you know, it's so
1: she's rough around. the Yeah. Edges. So
2: unique. So just played so uniquely that she really kind of steals the show from the, the lead. Although, you know, Jocelyn's great. Samantha's great, but I, I, I love um, Megan.
1: I do like that. Um, with her character, I do feel that overall as, as far as best friend roles go, we've seen a lot of movies, I'd say that Megan is probably one of the best written, best friend roles in a film that I can think of. Because, I mean, yeah, she's the voice of reason, but literally everything she thinks of is pretty much right. Like, as things go on, if you would have followed her suggestions at any point in the movie, you would make it out alive. You would not be part of this scenario. She is, she's just, she she knows exactly what to do, and and. Does go with her gut up until the very end. Unfortunately, which,
0: yeah. I was just gonna say, which is ironic because we know how things.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, we do. We do. We do. Which is
2: shocking. When it, when I first saw this film, that shocked the hell out of me. Obviously, it's supposed to, but yeah, yeah. Same. Um. So she goes. I was
1: gonna say she also she has that line. The kid could be from hell. I just want to acknowledge. That, yeah. Which is super cute. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. It's there's some foreshadowing there, uh, if I've ever seen any. Uh, but she goes back to her dorm. The roommate is snoring being just disgusting and so she goes to the bathroom and kind of tries to kind of gain composure and then she goes back to her dorm and the roommate's up now and she's just like this rough broad who is like oh some guy called for you I uh, I left his number on your desk and lo and behold she calls the number and it is
1: Mr. Ullman with his Mr. soft Ullman. quizzical voice his soft spoke <laughs> Uh, he
2: basically tells her that he is in a bind and that they need someone and that he can pay her $100 if she can do baby, if she can do the babysitting job tonight. And I was thinking to myself, this is the eighties, right? Right. $100. That's a gosh darn, a lot of money for a babysitting job in the eighties because I babysat when I was like 13 and I got like $10 for eight hours. I'm like, you're getting a hundred bucks to go. That's, that's a lot of money for the 80s i i would be a little probably eager to do it as well
1: i i will say this is the point where i would probably already decline just like based out of sheer laziness like if you're throwing at me like literally being like i need you to leave now i'd be like listen we had a time there's a window of time we've missed that window i wish you the best like but um she is determined and i do love like the moment when God, her face is so expressive. When she's on the phone with him and he offers the money, you can see like the hope in her face. It, it makes, it's just one more little thing that makes the rest of this journey so sad uh, as it progresses. You do feel really bad for this character, but she gives in. She says yes, and uh, she and Megan are on their way.
2: They are on their way in Megan's car, and we get some banter between the two of them, and, and they, I, they have good chemistry together. But we also find out that Megan... <laughs> Uh, has pulled down all of the help wanted babysitter signs so that nobody else would call
1: to get the job. Megan's a good fucking friend, yeah like, we all need a megan in our life
0: oh, I um, would love a Megan in
1: my life I just sort of love like
0: the 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 moral like um I think it's just, like, the, the moral differences between Megan and Samantha. Like, Samantha's actually, like, a little angry at her for doing this and thinks it's wrong. But Samantha is like, firm in her decision. And she was like, he shouldn't have blown you off. Like, like fuck that guy. So, um, and I think, yeah, again, like, that sort of contrast between, between um, like, Samantha's, like, I'm going to be righteous and holy and other characters sort of, like diverging from that
1: yeah yeah uh there's a moment while they're driving too and i just think it's just one of those well-played tropes they keep consistent the scene in the car uh starts with another radio broadcast uh and they give megan a moment to kind of bitch being like i'm so sick of hearing about this eclipse like they make it a little moment and they make sure to keep it like fresh in the viewer's mind that this is important, this is something big that's happening and I think they're really good at doing that without being like, eclipsed, like the entire movie, you know? <laughs> right,
0: it's not like spoon feeding right. it, like, right. Yeah.
1: and, uh, they do drive past a cemetery on their way, the cemetery does come into play, it is a very cinematic cemetery, they got a great location for the cemetery but, uh, only to be outmatched by the next location that they arrive at, which is the house of the fucking devil <laughs> <laughs>
2: The house, it is a creepy looking house. That's all I can say. I mean, it's a creepy looking house. Right. <laughs> it's It's huge.
0: It's huge. It's so I I read that it was the movie was in, filmed entirely in in Connecticut and it's so it, and it's very New England. Like even the cemetery, like that the, I living in New England and being from New England, I was like that's why this feels so familiar. Um and also just like what a genius like Title for a movie. I know it's so simple, but it's just like you. It's just like this impending doom. Like you know, shit's gonna go down in the house, right? Because it's called the House of the Devil. So like you know, it's gonna be bad. But it's just like this long drawn out thing <laughs> until we finally like. I, but we know it's coming. Um, There's
1: very few locations in this film overall. Like when you think about it, like you get college campus for a bit, you get pizza shop, but once you get to the house, like you don't, you don't stray away, and and it takes a very. Uh, It takes a certain kind of director, I'll be honest, to give me a one location film or a a film that's very restricted to the amount of locations it has and keep my attention. And the way they film this house, it is never boring. It never feels repetitious. It feels so vast and ominous. The house becomes a character in this film. Like It is very much a pivotal piece of why this film works
0: yeah and something i was thinking just like go back on settings as i was watching is like how economical it all is like how small the cast is and then yeah their locations like even when they're at the college you don't see a lot of students there's that one scene where she's like sitting on the 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 steps and you see like three students leave but they like specifically place it so it looks like they're going maybe on winter vacation or something um, so there are not a lot of students around so it's just smart like as a filmmaker and like realizing how ridiculous how many sets we had for Death Drop was it's like we should have we should have been smarter about that like like Ty West clearly. Was. I've always
1: honestly like I've said ever since I've seen this movie I said this is if you want an example of what to do with a small budget and make it work and make it look big this is the example I would show somebody because you're right, like, they don't rely on huge volume of scenes of extras, like club scenes that you have to deal with, or, I mean, school scenes that I've been stuck having to help with. It's very stressful. or getting getting 100 zombies on a location at one time and wanted to throw myself off a roof. Um, but but um, they, they are so smart because, yeah, it's very, very restricted to a few sparse locations, and it almost plays off of the – because it's like that cold winter season – And everyone's pretty much inside anyways. You know how she's like all bundled up all the time? You never really see anybody outside on that campus. And that makes sense. I know when I was living in Columbus in like a a campus town and it was winter, like people were not outside. It was sparse it was scarce
2: yeah I, yeah the one look the, the very few locations as possible that's what we just had this conversation roger remember <laughs> about if you're if you're an aspiring filmmaker that's my biggest piece of advice to you for your first film is the view the fewer the locations the better i learned my nice. lesson with teacher shortage because i that one was ridiculous as roger knows because he was in it i mean it was <laughs> you know we we had some locations we had schools we had bars we had everything. And I'm like, this is never going to happen again.
0: Yeah. You had like a house, yeah, a house. Yeah.
2: but, um, so she goes t- to knock on the door and I think, I think it's kind of cool that she brings Megan. But then I was thinking like from the perspective of whoever this Mr. Ullman, like it's kind of ballsy just to show up like with your friend and be like, Oh, here we are. And
1: I know. I, yeah. But think about this situation, like everything that's built up. Uh, to yeah. This. Yeah.
2: I get it. I get it. But I was thinking, you know, I, I was curious to see how he was going to react. Um, because, you know, because of the intentions of her being there, I was like, I wonder how he's going to react to someone else showing up with her. Uh, it's kind of ballsy to do that. Yeah. But again, probably smart, but this was the eighties. This was when people weren't really as smart as they are now. That's why everyone was getting kidnapped and murdered in the eighties because they made stupid decisions. <laughs>
1: And Troy would know because his obsession true was true is crime. crime, so he, he could tell us about all of the deaths. Where do we that start? In the okay, we start. Really had time, right? Uh. <laughs> Morbid. Um, uh, but I also this is the moment right when they're walking up that that Megan does deliver the the line Volvo safest safest car on the the roads or something like that. And that line again, simple line. You it's almost like a throwaway line until you realize it's not. I love these little moments. Um, I also love the way that they introduce Mr. Allman when they open the door and you see the girls are looking up at him and he's very tall and very skeleton-like, but you don't see his face until he finally like lets them in the house and like, <sighs> Mr. Allman does not look well. <laughs> Mr. Allman looks like Mr. I know. very fragile.
0: <laughs> it's all the deals he's making. Um, I think that was, I obviously, uh, I don't know how deliberate the casting choice was but to make him so tall is like very because his voice like you said is not terrifying but then he himself physically is a little disturbing because he's so tall and he says doesn't he say like such beautiful girls or something like really (laughs)
1: creepily yeah (laughs) Um, oh he has a few lines that he says like he's also like you're a real doll for doing this. Like I think they're kind of <laughs> demeaning, like a little bit like talking down to a woman. Yeah. Um, and coming from this awkward skeleton man, it, it's just like it makes like ooh, makes my skin crawl.
0: Yeah, it is. It's very, very disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So he welcomes
2: them in and sits them on the couch, and he's just, they're just having banter back and forth, like you guys just mentioned. And finally, he's like, "Can I speak to you alone, Samantha?" And I was like, okay, yeah, I know where this is going. He's going to bitch her out about bringing this other girl. And he does, he does, but in a very, um, professional, you know, kind way. He takes her to the kitchen. He's like, I just want you to know that I can only pay one of you tonight. And he actually seems embarrassed. Like, I really love yeah. his line delivery here. He actually seems like he's embarrassed that he has, he, he's telling her he can only pay one mm-hmm. of them. And she's like, oh, I know, I know she's, she just brought me, she's, she's going to leave and, he, um, she's going to, uh Pick me up later. In the meantime, she's sitting on the couch eating. Eating again. Candy? <laughs> Is it out of his candy it's like, bowl? It's, it's like it's hard candy. candy. Yeah. And she's like taking a bites of each of them and crunching. And then she, if she thinks it's gross, she takes it out of her mouth and puts it in a napkin and grabs another one. And I'm like, oh she shoves a napkin in between the yeah,
0: couch too. That's
1: like, she's, that's she's
0: disgusting that's something I would do honestly <laughs> it's these weird sort of like moments of like in like I'm just I can't think of another word besides like you know how like in 80s movies like the character does like what you're supposed to be like like wrong like you're supposed to know that is wrong right like these infractions these characters do and I think this is like her the one that she like doesn't like doesn't actually pay for but you know what I mean like she's like doing something that's like you're not supposed to do that. That's, like, that's really disgusting and also, like, wrong to do in someone's house. And then she, like, pockets some, I think, yeah, too, she or takes something. the. Bus. she takes the book. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: She puts them in her purse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> um, there's a little, a very subtle, subtle moment. And because this movie is so, like, it's, it's simple, you know? Like, it just is... I think it's easy to really get into some of more like these facial reactions and everything with this movie because there's a lot of, I think, hidden intentions that you like go back and you rewatch it. And you see there's something more to the moment. And one of these moments that like hit me a different way when I watch it this last time was when he's like, I can't afford to pay both people. And she's like, oh, no, um I don't have a car. She's just dropping me off is how she words it. And you see his face kind of almost like light up. And not knowing what you know, like, not only is she like there to be the babysitter, but she has no means of escape. Perfect. Like, right. it's
2: ideal, you know. But he also, we've, we cut back to their conversation. And this is when he is like, you know, can you, you need to sit down. And, and, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, yeah. fuck, I'm out. So she, she sits down. She's like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, I haven't been completely honest with you. Basically, we don't have a child. Well, we do, but he's grown. Basically, what you're going to be doing is watching my mother-in-law, <laughs> and right away she is like, uh, "I don't have any experience with with that sort of thing," so I'm just I'm going to go. And he's like, "No, no, no, we're, we're we're desperate. I will give you. How much do you want? I will give you three hundred dollars. Now we know that three hundred dollars is pretty important to her because that is the amount of money we saw at the beginning that she has to give D. Wallace the landlady." And Mm -hmm. this girl has some gall because she's like,
0: oh, how about 400? And and he's like, yeah, he's like,
2: oh, okay.
0: I was going to say, I actually think that moment is like the first moment where she like diverges from her like moral compass because she like exploits someone. She does something that all these other, like not all these other characters, but that other characters are doing that are, like, what she considers immoral, like ripping down the posters or her roommate being a garbage person. Like, so this is, her, like, this is Samantha's, like, first moment where she's like, I'm going to take advantage of someone and in their situation. And I think that's, like, that, the I, I don't know, I think that's an important moment because obviously it leads her down to where we're about to head. But um, I don't know, I just thought it was a very, I think it's, like, a lot more significant as a character choice because I think she's making a decision that's not necessarily... Um, what she what we've known of her thus
1: far yeah it's the first time she's selfish i mean and it i mean it's reasonably selfish she because of course uh, yeah she is she needs the money i'm sure she doesn't want to be completely without any cash so here's this ideal situation and they're putting yeah. her in what seems to be a very uncomfortable situation so why not milk it but yeah she definitely takes it she runs with it yeah. a little more than maybe she should have
0: yeah, and the, the the decision's not, like, reprehensible. And you can even see the hesitation when she says 400. Like, it's almost like she's unsure of if she should push this, um, which is great. But yeah, it's like the first time, like, her moral compass diverges and um, to catastrophic ends. That is interesting to look at it from that angle. Yeah, but it's,
2: it's also, like, you know, it's also just kind of, like, f- You know, how fate because it's the exact same amount of money she needs, and it just happens to fall on her lap, and there's a solar eclipse. It's just, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, supernatural elements that are strung throughout the film that necessarily don't have really anything Mm -hmm. to do with the ending of the film, but are kind of there. You know, just how convenient is it that she happens to come across somebody that's willing to give her the exact amount of money that she needs? But, I love this next scene because she agrees. She's like, okay, I'll do it. And he's like, it's, it's, it's super easy. You don't even really have to go up and talk to her. Just She agrees. And I love the next scene because there's no like conversation between her and Megan. It's basically just Megan storming out of the house, being like, you are an idiot. And, and she's mad at her. She is mad. She's like, they lied to you. We said that if there was any hint of anything that wasn't right, we were leaving. And this right. is not right. So what do you do? And it
0: goes back to like we said with that first scene with the landlady. It's like trust your gut. Like it's just like we just such a simple, such a simple moral. But like here it is, like right in her face, being like, "But money's 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 powerful."
2: I mean, she, she's she basically tells Samantha, "You're being stupid," and Samantha's like, "So you are you plea will you please just come back and get me at twelve thirty? It's it's four hours. I'm gonna this is this this is gonna do." And she even tells her, "This is." This is going to do so much for me. Just this four hours is going to do so much for me. So can you please do it? And Megan's response is, you're being stupid, but fine. And she leaves. She drives away. She's on like a verge of tears. She is like she is she's because like, she knows. Up. Yeah, she knows how stupid this is, yeah. and it is kind of stupid. You know, I mean, kind of. <laughs> well, it is. You it know, it proves to be very fucking stupid. It proves my it dumb be- <laughs> ass probably would have done the same thing. Say, but like four hundred dollars. I've done worse sure. for less. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: But um. So yeah. So now she's at the house. I mean, she is officially there, and um, uh, Megan is is taken off down the road. And, and stops for a cigarette. <laughs> why? Why? Why do you need to stop your car for
2: a cigarette, Megan? If you would have just lit the cigarette and kept driving, and kept driving like a normal person, this would have this would have never yeah. happened. But she pulls over in front of the creepiest fucking cemetery known to man for a cigarette. Yeah, and she lights. Like, she this she rolls makes it down. <laughs> And she rolls down the window. Yeah. <laughs> And she's trying to light her cigarette. And all of a sudden this hand comes out of nowhere with a lighter. And it is, well, it's AJ Bowen's character. And he is like, Oh, I can see you need a light. So he, he gives her the lighter and she lights a cigarette. And you can tell right away, this dude, there's something not right with him. I would have immediately pulled away. He is. uh, If you watch it, he is looking like, he's like looking to make sure nobody's around Like he keeps looking, checking his surroundings and he's like, Ooh, it's cold out here. And I love her responses. Uh, okay. (laughs) Like he, like he, like she expected him to like, want to come in and sit in the car. And that's why he was saying that. She's like, uh, okay. And he's, she's like, what are you doing out here anyways? This is why are you out here? And I can't remember. She says something and he is like, aren't you the babysitter? Yeah, she should have said yes.
0: She, she's, she should have just said she's
2: yes.
1: like, she's, no, my friend, blah blah blah, and like without hesitation. <laughs> I know he blows her fucking head off. <laughs> A great fucking sequence, right? I
0: remember, I remember first seeing this sequence, and yeah, mid mid sentence of her being like, my friend, yes. and then it's just like, boom, um, was was very shocking. It's also, I think, the first time in the movie that we we finally are not with Samantha. Um, so it's left, you already kind of feel cause you're always so as an audience member, you're like already comfortable with being with Samantha, Samantha. So, you know, like shit's going to get weird. Like it's important that we've, we've diverged from her arc to, to have this moment. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah.
2: it's a blood, it's bloody, it's brutal. I mean, it's, it's a pretty brutal uh, effect. It looks pretty yeah. graphic. And then, yeah. I love uh, that the
0: car, like also slowly, like, rolls off like there there's something about that that's very disturbing to me I don't know what it is, but it's just like a, a, it's just a detail that like being specifically included is i don't know it, it, it definitely like keeps it unsettling
1: well i I think that with the way this film handles its moments of violence because keep in mind like up to this point there's been nothing i mean nothing and it, when this hits it hits like with the force of a freight train um and it it shows a lot of real like solid directorial work from west and it's like the scene moving forward there are moments of gore and violence in this movie but they're few and far between but they let the movie, the movie breathe so much between these sequences that when they do hit it always like it it shocks you and not just in the way it's edited but how it's executed in general because it's just um it's 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 used just the right amount you know what i mean like it's not This isn't a gore fest. It's not like blood and gore beginning to end. There's only a few moments of real, like, shocking violence. But they come... uh between periods of calm and periods of a lot of development and they oftentimes just take you completely by surprise so it has this extra half to it so when the scene happened i remember the first time i saw this i had i did not anticipate this because it's got you've gotten comfortable with this right. film at this point and these characters you're in like this comfort zone with megan she's such like an open character i thought something shitty was gonna happen to her but not at the speed in which it hit here because the moment he suspects anything you see his face drop and all of a sudden boom he just blasts the whole front of her head off and like, yeah, it, it's great. And then he takes the puff of that cigarette and ugh.
2: yeah, he takes the cigarette out of her hand. I think that this is the point when the film becomes and I, I I don't really throw around this word very often when it comes to film, but I feel like this is the point that this film really becomes brilliant because it happens so quickly so early on in the film and it sets us up to know now something truly is not right. But after this point, and this is what I'm talking about, the brilliant part. After this point, the film's pacing is so drawn out, so drawn out that we, as the audience, just witnessed this horrific murder of a character that we've grown to like in, in the, the two scenes that she's in. And now we are literally sitting on the edge of our seats, the rest of the film, waiting for what's going to happen because of this one particular scene. And it is so drawn out. I mean, to do this to to do this and and to pull it off the way he did, I, I'm gonna say it, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, I I can't think of another film that is so deliberately paced, but does it in such yeah, and does it in such a uh, skillful, masterful way. I really can't. Yeah,
1: every decision and action leads right into the next. Mm-hmm. Like the, nothing about the story is like forced or it happens is like shoehorned in there to make like the plot go a certain way like everything unfolds so naturally and that is really like yeah expert expert direction um we get back to the house and there is a conversation between uh mr allman and samantha where he's kind of like giving her the rundown of what to expect what to expect with his uh his stepmother and uh what to expect with like while they're away in the sense of like taking care of herself within the house, and he keeps urging her to order pizza. And, like, you had mentioned earlier, Mikey, that he um, he seems like he's kind of losing it a little bit, like, an, like a kiss of dementia. Just a yeah, pinch of pinch. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also realize this, too, like, the pizza plays a pivotal factor. So he's, like, you can tell he's, like, did I remember to mention it? Like, there's a reason for it, too. And, it, again, it just makes it all the more creepier.
0: Yeah, I can't, like, tell... <laughs> How, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, how, it, maybe it, I did think like he has like some early onset dementia or something, but I, <laughs> I wonder if like all other previous attempts that this family had has failed because he's just like inept <laughs> or getting too old or something, which I thought was like in my head, it was like kind of funny. I was like, Oh, like, I wonder if he forgot to mention the pizza the last time they tried this or something. Uh, but yeah, no. Yeah. He
2: mentions it about four. He even pins a $20 bill on the refrigerator Yeah, so that she yeah, has the money yeah. for, for the pizza. And he gives her half her payment up front, the $200. And yeah, like Roger said, tells her, basically, you don't really have to do anything. You don't have to go, even go up and, and, and see her. She's she's going to be up there. And she, he leaves her alone. And he goes upstairs. And you hear him talking to somebody from upstairs. But then from downstairs, one of the rooms enters the elegant oh. Mrs. Ullman, played by... <laughs>
1: She's, she has a first name though, really. It's is like Vivian. Vivian only. Victoria is played yeah, by Vivian the <laughs>
2: wonderful Mary Warrenov. Yeah,
0: she's terrifying.
2: Yeah, yeah, what a
1: cool casting.
2: She is amazing in this. It's it's really I I love I, I yeah it's it's great casting because this is something this is totally against the grain of what she's typically known to do, which is a lot of like the horror comedy stuff. She was in the beginning of Chopping Mall, okay. if you remember. And Mm -hmm. she is very much known as like a Roger Corman type actress that does a lot of comedic uh, relief in '80s films, horror films. So to cast her in this role, where she is sinister as hell, creepy as hell, was another. I'm gonna throw the word out there again: brilliant. Yeah, yeah. totally against the type of what she typically is known to do. And she's a gay
1: man's dream in this, like in that fur, with that (laughs) fur. And the way she talks to to Jocelyn, um, I was getting some lesbian vibes. Well, a, a, a pinch of lesbian, but also I get lesbian very, vibes like, in every movie we watch. Though so. <laughs> we're looking for them all the time. We're looking for flannel. We're looking for short cropped hair. But um, no, no, she, um, she, yeah, like just um, very dominant. I was gonna say if 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 she, if Mr. Ullman is the sub, she is the doll. Oh, yeah. really, no. she, she, for sure, like she pegging him. She pegging yeah, him. She
0: definitely wears the pants. <laughs> she is very. She's more. She's unsettling in a different way than he is. Right? Like, I don't know. She. I feel like. Oh, she's she creeped me out, and the fact that like she like it's almost like a weird cartoon character because her hair is black everything she's wearing black so it's just like all kind and because they shot on like um 16 millimeter or whatever it just kind of blends all in as like one being like you don't see the separation between shirt and hair and pant and fur and so she just looks like this really creepy shadow um that like first sees um samantha in a mirror which is which is a little i don't know kind of disturbing that slow zoom that ty west does um, but something that creeped me out about a detail that for some reason, like, always stuck out on my mind was that she mentioned that they're from the desert, like, they don't like the cold, and for, you look at these people and they look like they're from the cold, so that I always found wicked weird, um, it's a, just an interesting, interesting choice to, to talk about being from the desert, I don't know. Yeah, they're
1: like milk white, they have no yeah, color. Yeah,
0: looks like they've never been in the sun, but she's like, yeah, we're yeah. from the desert or, or something, and I was like, she's are like, you? like, we like the
1: heat, Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I like, again, with the little, little details is she comes through the door while Samantha's sitting on the couch. Samantha's looking up the staircase because she thinks the conversation is taking place upstairs. Uh, and then, so she's taken by surprise when she comes from, you know, the next room over and she acknowledges it. And Mrs. Ullman says, oh, I was just getting my furs from the basement. There's all these little dialogue points that come back up because then the, the fur coats come up later again as well but it's just so casual in the conversation it just uses this like kind of little excuse for oh that's why i came from the next room over and like it's not even questioned after that and like it's like little pieces of this puzzle that keep falling together and making this bigger picture it's so unsettling
2: yeah and then she starts just like again excessively complimenting samantha like telling her oh you look far too young to be in college uh, I can't believe you're in college. And it's like, you're such a beautiful girl. And then starts like grab caressing her hair. But then she hears the husband coming down and she immediately like jerks away. Like she's
1: doing something wrong. And it's just really weird. Yeah. And the scene with Jocelyn Donahue, I think is honestly, is some of her best action- acting in the film because it's, it's simple, but she's got this like, obvious discomfort with this older woman who she's trying to respect, but she's like, like folding up. She's like cowering like a lamb. Uh, This woman does have a very intimidating presence, and I really love the body language between the two of them because Mrs. Ullman has no issue just getting right up in her space, you know? Yeah,
2: so the husband comes and uh, gets—Mr. Ullman comes and gets Vivian, and they're off for the evening, leaving Samantha in this house by herself with this unknown mother-in-law that we— haven't seen yet or haven't heard anything up from
1: and as they pull away she acknowledges that they do both very very obviously depart in the volvo that has been acknowledged prior by one Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. she calls megan and
2: gets her answering machine and we get that old good old trick that people used to do you remember doing this with your answer or like on your voicemail where you'd be like hello and then you'd like wait th- Three seconds. Go, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm not home. That's what Megan does in her answering machine. So we get her calling Megan a couple times to find out that she's not there. She's like, aren't you home yet? You need to call me, please. You should be home by now. And she decides to order the
1: pizza. What she calls there. One large pepperoni. Because we've seen him already. It is very obvious to anyone paying attention that this voice on the other line is AJ Bowen. Mm-hmm. because he has a very distinct voice and just from that one scene he had with Greta Gerwig earlier he's got like kind of a higher pitch sound to his voice it's very noticeable and he's kind of quirky and jokey he's cracking jokes so with the dialogue the way they wrote this scene between the two of them where he's uh he's like you want just anchovies right like blah blah blah, like making these little, little quirky jokes jabs at her um it makes it all the more obvious it's him and like at this point If you've been paying attention, it's very unsettling to think that this is the guy that's on the other side of the line. Yeah,
2: it's so we know now, Okay, that is why Mr. Ullman was pressuring her so much to order this damn pizza. Obviously, part of this whole uh, elaborate trap that basically she fell into as we're starting to realize now, I I don't want to say like nothing substantial happens for the next 25 minutes or so, because I mean, there are little elements that do happen throughout this next 25 minutes, but for the most part, and I feel like this is where people who criticize this movie, because you can read some negative reviews. I, I was checking out like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and reading some reviews, and most of them are very good. It has a very high rating on on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, but there are some very scathing reviews. And basically, it, I, I think they stem from this particular portion of the film where it literally seems like nothing happens except her walking around this house. All of the the critiques that I've seen or that, that, the vitriol that I've seen directed at this film have 100% to do with the pacing of the film and the fact that there is a huge chunk of time in this film where it seems like nothing happens. She's mm-hmm. just exploring this house. She's dancing around. Um, there's not much going on. So, I mean, we can go through every little thing she does for the next 25 minutes, but some things that I think that I, I, there are a few things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do,
0: I understand, like, I think in the moment I probably, I I, I don't necessarily have like the, the clearest memory, but I, I think what, what horror movies that stand out to me are the ones that like stick with me afterwards. And I think that, um, this is one that did because all these, like, this 25-minute span where, like, seemingly, like, not really much happens. There's all these, like, little moments that, like, could have saved her or could have gotten out of there. Like, she peers down in the basement while she's doing that little dance. I and mean, Had she only, like, explored a little further and gone down there, she would have seen shit and she would have, like, got warned. Or um her knocking over the vase, like, seems insignificant, but it's, like, a very what's so fascinating what what's kind of heartbreaking about her breaking the vase is she's so concerned about it and she's really like worried that it happened and we know as as viewers that like that's the least of her concerns right now. So I think like it's like moments like that that do matter but I can see where folks would be like a little impatient. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, and I, I agree, but I'm telling, ta- you know, we have to look at kind of the both sides of, of why people love or why people dislike this film. And I think yeah. that when you when you ask people that dislike this film, why they dislike it, they are 100 percent going to say because nothing happens through most of yeah. the film.
0: And to get such a big moment with Greta Gerwig to have to then just like almost, I guess, probably folks feel like it kind of deflates from there. Yeah. Um,
2: but for me, I mean, for me, it's it's tension. Like I said, for me, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. You, you're waiting for something to happen. Like, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, she opens the basement door. What's going to happen? Oh, my God, she, you know, she goes into this room. What's going to happen? Something's going to happen. And it doesn't. It doesn't uh, until it becomes, uh, it builds so much that we get to the climax of the film. I don't have a problem. I mean, Ty West is known for his the his style and his style is very much slow burn. So if you don't like people that don't like Ty West, that's why they don't like him. Every one of his films, whether it is the House of the Devil, the Innkeepers, you know, the Sacrament, the Roost, and then he did that segment for ABC's A Death. Um, it's all very much slow build up to a climax that is usually pretty frenzied. But if you're impatient uh, and you're used to the you know big budget action movies that are. Mm-hmm. you know, splattering theaters every week. It may be a little difficult to sit here and watch this. Like, I can't imagine, like, I'm, I'm trying to think I'm a teacher and I would, you know, working with like kids, like, th- you know, I, I, I throughout my span of my day. Now I work with high school students in the morning and then elementary students in the afternoon. I just can't imagine like sitting like a sixth grader down and be like, here, watch this film or like a 14 year old here, watch this film. They're going to be on their phone constantly, you know? Um, so you have to just kind of know what he's like, what he's doing, the purpose of, of why this is so slow. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's brilliant. I'm not complaining, but I, I, I know that anybody that has something disparaging to say about this film is going to mention the pacing.
1: One thing I have come to appreciate about this, and I realize it now at this point, having seen it so many times more than ever, um, and I don't think I picked up on it as much when I first saw it, is this film, there are parts of it that are almost in real time. It, it takes place over one, the course of one evening, but once you get to a certain time frame, the countdown to the eclipse and the, you're tracking that through a lot of things. You're tracking it through some really effective shots. Like when you see A.J. Bowen at one point look up and you see in the night sky that it's just starting to begin. You have that absurd news clip with uh, those two individuals. Oh God, I was like, going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I like my popcorn with extra butter. Yes.
2: <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's the one point where she sits down and watches, turns on the TV and it's a news uh, cast broadcast. And yeah, it's a, they're talking about the lunar eclipse and, Grab some popcorn. I like mine with butter.
1: <laughs> well, every time you do a woman's voice for it, it's like this deep southern draw. I'm like, I don't know
2: Because I, I, I lived in Texas for so oh, long. Oh, I my. Mean, that sounds
1: like Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, I declare. it really it, It's like keeping tabs on it. Like, you, Yes, it takes a time. But, Mike, like you, you did mention there's like a series of valuable little tidbits that happen along the way. And they're so tiny. But, you know, we obviously, like, the dance montage happens. We have to acknowledge it. One of the best dance montages in horror (laughs) movie history. Um, Mm. She's bopping around the house. She's throwing apples, catching them, uh, spinning around, twirling. Uh, it's
2: to and it's to one thing one thing leads to, leads to another. another. <laughs> A very quintessential '80s song. Uh, I still don't think it beats the dance sequence in "Evil Laugh," but that's just me. Or
1: the dance sequence in uh, "The Final Final Girls" to um, che- uh, "Cherry Pie," <laughs> when oh, Tina yeah. like kicks the door open and she's like, "Do do 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 do." Yeah, it's, it's,
2: it's absurd. <laughs> um, but um, but again, this but this actress Jocelyn Donahue gives it her all. I mean, to be uh, to be to let kind of let your inhibitions down and just do this on camera for yeah, and it's it, it's very cool. It's it's shot. Like it's almost like one take, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Just like following her around the house as she's doing this dance. It's very fluid. Cool how it's do. very fluid. Yeah. I want to start, um, just because it's like the thing right now with the chi- the children. Um, I really want to start start a TikTok trend where you take this scene and you just like dub other songs that would not fit over it and see like if <laughs> it can catch yeah. up. Yeah. I want to do one to Salt Shaker by the Yin Yang Twins, <laughs> <laughs> but the exact same scene and just let it run its course. I think it could take off because it, it is a really fun scene. Um, but it. it. It does lead to the breaking of the vase, as you mentioned, Mikey. Yes. Uh, And the breaking of the vase leads to the opening of a closet. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Yeah, the opening of the closet reveals a bunch of furs. That are not in the basement. That are not in the basement.
0: That are not in the basement. Yeah, and she says to herself, yeah, she said these were in the basement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. And then underneath the furs is a garbage bag, and she's curious enough already so she proceeds to open the bag and starts going through the items inside of it um, and finds a bunch of framed photos of a family that is obviously not the family that she's met. But in one of the specific photos, they are pictured standing in front of a very specific volvo
2: and it's the volvo that uh, megan happened to point out when they pulled into the driveway
1: this reveal is is when things really i think start to twist um turn the wheels for her for samantha
0: also another thing i thought when i was re-watching it is oh, what bad <laughs> what a bad job this family did to like hide these things like obviously they went through the house and took all the
1: photos down yeah. You know, it was <laughs> like, mr. but they were mr. just Ullman. yeah
0: it was mr mr Inept, mr Ullman, who was just like i don't know i guess i'll put this trash bag in here like you have to think that i don't know maybe this teenage girl is going to explore i don't know but anyway i was thinking that i was like wow that's really bad like that's just bad covering up
1: um yeah yeah the, the, this family is not They're lucky that shit works out the way it does as long as it does because they are bumbling. They're bumbling. Um, The only one that's not totally bumbling is the son, is A.J. Bowen's character. And so um, you've got this whole moment where um, she's kind of creeping around the house now. She's nervous because she's found these pictures. She does go out on the porch at one point and there's like a van that's parked. And she acknowledges it, and she's just standing out there for a second, but she eventually goes back inside. And after she goes inside, you do see the boots step down from inside the van. And they are definitely A.J. Bowen's boots. And we know this because a, a cigarette is thrown out on the grass and stepped on, put out. And you know when you see it, you just you know that's Megan's cigarette. It's like one of those little touches that's like, oh, This is how short the time frame has been since this all happened. Yeah, and she is totally freaked
2: out. She grabs a knife... You know, and it's, it's kind of walking through the house with this knife. And at this point, this is the only point in the movie where I'm like, if you're that freaked out, just leave. Like, just go.
1: Wait, how, where?
2: I mean, just, I would into I, the wild. I, I, <laughs> um, I, if it was if it was into the wild versus
1: what happens to her, I would choose into the wild. That's fair. That's fair. And Troy, don't tell me, like, I know all three of us have at one point in our lo- in our big gay lives been scared alone in a house, and we've taken, we've pulled, like, a knife handle, we've taken a fucking, like, butcher <laughs> knife, and we've, like, held it up against our chest in case we have to defend ourselves. I, neither of you can tell me you haven't done that.
0: Uh... I probably have. <laughs> None's coming to mind,
1: but I think, especially I'm when I'm stoned, stoned. I'm mean, like, uh, like cowering
0: in a corner. I think just showing um, the son's boots. I think just also is kind of cementing that, like, even if she were to run or start walking back to college or he whatever, him, yeah. like he's he's like circling around like a wolf, like he's just like stalking and making sure everything's going to going to plan. Um,
2: so she goes pee, and as she's peeing, she hears like this pounding noise coming from upstairs. So she slowly climbs the stairs and check it out. And there's like this cool—I I really like the lighting and the shadow play as she's climbing the stairs. It looks really a cool. Silhouette. Yeah, it's a silhouette, and it's it's it, it's very effective. Um, she stops in front of a room and she like tries to open the door, and it's locked. And she's like, "Is anybody in there?" And then we get this cool reveal the camera automatically flips into the side of the room and we see the dead family.
0: Yeah. Also a very disturbing image. Like if you look at the child, like I'm like very, it
1: was, it's very, very, um, oof. I don't, yeah, I don't like it. That's like nightmarish. Yeah. He's got his full, like he's obviously had his heart removed because he's all the way from stern to bow. He's cut down his gut. Uh, and I think his eyes are stabbed yeah, out, I believe. It's
0: the eyes, I think, that freak me out the most. Yeah. It's like it's just like these dark holes, um, these dark gaping holes, um, that really sort of
1: freak me out. And the whole lead up to this sequence where she's going when she's making her wake up the way up the staircase, um, I mean it is a long sequence and it is the, the score is sparse. It's very simple, but the this is like Ty West at his finest. I would say, like this b- build up moment of her waiting at the bottom of the stairs, listening for these thumps, slowly making her way into the hallway. You get an occasional like built like build up of strings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like, honestly, it is just so suspenseful. I can still watch it to this day and feel that suspense, and that's rare to watch a movie like ten, fifteen times and still feel the emotion they're trying to pull out of you. You know, absolutely, yeah.
2: But I also think like one of these, one of this, the scene upcoming is probably one of the most effective jump scares in horror film history. I think it is. It, it still scares the crap out of me when it happens, even though kind of I know it's it's coming. I don't know if you guys agree with me um, or not, but it's when she, after she stops in front of this room and we get the reveal of the dead family, she continues up up the attic stairs because there's still this pounding, and there's this moment. It's silent. Like Roger said, there's no score. It's silent. And she reaches like the final flight of stairs to go to the attic. And as she's climbing, the loudest fucking doorbell in the history of film rings. <laughs> and I I literally jumped out of my seat. It's like a fire alarm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. That is one of the most effective jump scares. I think. I mean. I think that's right up there, like with the ex- Exorcist three, with the in the hospital, with the nurse coming out with the hedge clippers or whatever they Hell all are. yeah! But it, it that scared the crap out of me. Even the second time I watched it just before we recorded this, I was like, <laughs> I jumped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're getting old, Troy. So you you like. Yourself a little bit. You're like, ah. like, it's like one of those scares, <laughs> but it's 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 highly scary
2: highly effective yeah so she mm. runs down and it's the fucking pizza man and she doesn't even bother i love that she just opens the door she throws the 20 out grabs the pizza slams the door shut she's like thank you keep the change right. and we hear him on the other side of the door seeing being like oh thank you ma'am and of course it is i think his name's victor is it victor that's his, it's aj bone but i believe the character is victor allman the son Oh, I
1: forget it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think you're right. I do think you're right. I'm. I. I didn't write it down either. I literally just reference him as the son The son in my Yeah. Notes. But I, I and she and then
2: she goes to call nine one one, and she the aunt she dials nine one one. She quickly hangs up. She changes her mind. They call her back, and she's like, Lena Dunham. Calls oh my her back. god, I
0: saw that in the credits. <laughs> Wait, that's Lena yes. Dunham. That's fucking
1: Lena Dunham on the other line is like the nine one one. Oh her. my god!
0: Now, now I have to go back and just listen for that. I didn't. And
1: she's she doing sounds like a kind of a draw. She's like, "Ma'am, is everything okay?" Yeah.
0: Why? Why is she? She has a Southern accent. She sounds old. Like, how I did
1: they get her?
2: Well, this was. Is she friends with this someone? was two thousand. I don't think friends. she'd really done anything.
0: It was before Girls and maybe before Tiny Furniture or whatever yeah. the movie was that she did. Before all
2: of that, she, she had, had a, cameo- a voice, voice cameo overhaul. in House of the Devil. I'm sure that's right.
0: Good for her, man.
2: Yeah, I saw that in the credits. So I'm like, hope. are you serious? That's Lena Dunham? on the, f-? And it's like, Lena Dunham,
1: 911 operator. <laughs> that's how it's <laughs> We all have hope to grow in our careers over time. Yes, yeah, good for her. <laughs> Yeah, so Lena Dunham scolds her <laughs> for, um, for for calling her. It's for emergencies, Samantha- ma'am. Yeah, <laughs> and Samantha promptly goes to turn on the TV and watches Night of the Living Dead because yeah, it, 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 yeah. Every every fucking movie ever uses Night of the Living Dead as the if it's Halloween or you're watching a horror movie, it's Night of the Living Dead because of the public domain. Mm-hmm. And I at this point I know Night of the Living Dead so well that I can tell when they're adding like alternate. Audio over it, and these are not the screams from the original *Night Living Dead*, so it kind of irritates me, but I'll live with it. But she's she's mowing down on this pizza while she's uh, watching the movie.
0: Yep, and the
1: pizza looks disgusting
0: it does and she's even and like one of the slices is like folded over like it looks like someone else took a bite out of it it does and it's like very thin like there's no it's it does not look appetizing i
1: feel like these fuckers bought this pizza four hours ago like the plan we have to work on the plan like make sure to put extra poison in it and it's just been sitting waiting so now this piece is like ice cold <laughs> but all that matters is she gets one bite out of it and she's fucked so she does take down one bite but pretty quickly you can tell that she's disgusted by it yeah yeah she goes to get a swig of water and i find this moment kind of interesting and this is something i actually kind of want to get your opinion here she goes to get some water from the sink earlier in the movie we saw a shot of just the sink dripping like right when she got to the house they gave us a cut over to the the dripping sink for no real reason just to establish it so this time when she gets water she swigs some water she swishes it around a little bit and she um proceeds to like listen to the sink to kind of get close. And there's the sound of something coming from the pipes and they don't elaborate on this beyond that moment. But I'm curious, do you think on top of everything on top of the pizza and all of this shit, do you think they have like rigged the pipes? Do we think something's in the water as well?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Cause I remember thinking, I remember thinking about that, not this second. So I watched it twice in, in preparation and I remember thinking that um when i was watching over the weekend um i don't know it's a good question yeah i I don't know why it was focused on it i
1: picture like frail mr allman like his snuck back into the basement and he's like hand pumping (laughs) like 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 rat poison water like every time she goes to take a drink he's just down there like ensuring she's doused with it but yeah it's just one of those it's another one of those things there's a lot of these like little moments that aren't fully explained you know, but um, you, it leaves you kind of thinking or guessing, like, is this the case? That's interesting. I didn't, you know, I didn't even think about that. I, I thought it,
2: I basically just thought of it as a ploy to get her to go explore the house some more. <clears> because <throat> after she hears the banging, she does go back upstairs and she goes into one of the bathrooms, logically, because she's hearing the water pipes um, banging. And she opens the shower and there's like this reaction from her. She's like, <gasps> like we think it's <laughs> something horrible. And what it ends up being is it's just a, like a bunch of like black hair. Yeah.
0: Whose hair is that? Is that <laughs> is was it Miss Allman's wig? I, I was thinking that like, I don't know. Cause obviously we know what, did she do something that caused her hair to fall out? Like, I don't know. It's very weird. Cause obviously we see that she is wearing a wig later on. It's very disturbing. Uh, the image, but I don't, I don't quite know <laughs> what happened.
1: Yeah there's a few things because also there's the family that was there before so like is it the is it the mothers because there you see her body but she's shadowed Mm. i mean like does she have hair i can't really tell maybe but there's another thing and this might be me really reaching a lot but you know how they say that before her they had another girl but she ended up not working out yeah you know how they drop that line I, w- <laughs> I wonder if some shit went down and they, like, scalped a bitch or something. Yeah, like, well, you know, like, I don't know. They cut her? Yeah, they scalped her. I don't know. I mean, I could be jumping to a conclusion, <laughs> but they bring that point up a couple times, and, like, it's just one more thing, because it's like, yeah, it's not like you found guts. It's not like you found, like, a a, a dead child in the tub. You found fucking, like, right. like an obscene amount of hair. <laughs> like, like, someone was fully shaved. Yeah, they must have,
0: like, yeah. Because when they say that other girl thing, they must have They didn't just, like, let her go home.
1: (laughs) They're like, it's fine. It's not working. Like, have a good day. Uh, All of this does lead, though, to... The the climax. uh, The the buildup in this sequence as she takes to the staircase. Like, literally, like, to this day, I'm sitting on my couch and, like, there's, like, a lump in my throat. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God. It's so suspenseful. Like, this scene just is, like, relentless. It is so fucking terrifying.
2: Yeah, she makes the logical choice after finding hair in the bathtub and having, you know, all this shit happen, to go to the attic again. That's exactly what I would do, not. But she does. She heads to the attic again, and as she gets to the attic, she goes to pull the light on outside the attic door and it blows all the like electricity in the house. So not only is she in this creepy house now, it's a pitch black. <laughs> and There is this moment where she hears someone come to the door, attic door from inside the attic and start opening it. And as you see like this hand with like claws come out of the door, she begins to have a reaction to the fact that she was drugged by the pizza and she basically passes out
1: yeah at this point like with everything as the as her whole journey i feel so bad for this girl because like imagine being a 17 year old child in this situation right now in this pitch black like house you've never been in knowing that there's like a tub full of hair for no reason whatsoever and then this shit happens like i mean she's she's shitting herself at this point it is like the masterclass horror. like yeah honestly it's one of the best scenes in the movie
0: yeah, it's, oh, God, and the score really starts to pick up and get, like, really um, terrifying. And that hand, I just remember thinking that hand was so fucking scary. Um, and you know, oh, God, you know it's going to be bad, um, which I, I, I love it. Um,
2: yeah, it's really cool. And then this this whole next segment, this transition into the next scene is actually really well done, too, because the screen goes black, and then there are basically just flashes of, candlelight and you see her like head on the on the you see her laying down like her head's on the floor and you're just getting these flashes from this candle of 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 light for uh, about 10 seconds you're not really you're, it's kind of disorienting we, we don't really know exactly what's happening but we do see that she obviously is on the ground mm-hmm. she's she's restrained um as this candlelight keeps flashing and then there all of a sudden there is just this like moment of blackness and then this huge s- reveal with this loud like s- s- score like, and she is like and th- the whole scene is lit and she is tied to the floor right uh, to this pentagram that's painted on the floor it is so just
0: i love yeah i love that dramatic like jarring image because it's almost like the worst of what you thought was going to happen is fucking happening. Like it's not. It's just like, yep, she is tied up to a pentagram, and yep, there's satanists, and yep, she's gonna get sacrificed. Um, mm-hmm. there's no like, not what you thought it was going to be. You you like were anticipating this, and
1: now she's in it. Yeah, and I think there's actually. <clears throat> When I, we've seen, I'm sure, plenty of rituals in our time in different variations, different movies, everyone's sacrificing something or someone. Right. And I, I, you know, I actually appreciate about this whole sequence is like, when it comes to the rules of a, of a demonic sacrifice, there's certain things you expect. And like Ty West was like, he wasn't going to be like, I'm going to come up with some real, like absurd, far-fetched, brand new ritual. I'm sticking to the basics. We're going to do a fucking pentagram. We're going to deal with what I assume is a virgin, or at least close to it. Uh, we're going to put her in a white sh- gown. Uh, we're going to involve the usage of blood. And um, we're going to have... Apparently, this. everyone seems fine with the fact that there's this demon woman. Amongst like just part of the crowd, like how does she? How do they transport this woman around from place to place? Like I'm guessing this is Grandma, but Grandma comes out of the shadows and she is very much a, a demon woman. Like she's yeah. she doesn't look like at all human, and it's, and she just like she's just no. part of the the gang, and she starts dipping her fingers in blood. She takes a knife, as you do during a ritual, proceeds to go cut her wrists, and, and forces apparently forces Samantha to guzzle her own blood from the head of like a a deer or something it is so fucking wild but it is really by the books like it is it is classic ritual
0: it's it's very disturbing and i think yeah. i always assumed that grandma was so ugly because she had just done so many work games with the devil that like only naturally like your your appearance starts to wear away and i think that's why mrs Ullman like doesn't have hair it's cuz the more I don't know. The more you, the more of your soul you give to the devil, like the more you start to deteriorate. Um, even if he's giving you riches or whatever
1: it is that he's promising oh my gosh mikey's giving us all this extra like that's just what i thought like i, was I just love like, it because i
0: was like that's definitely <laughs> grandma but why is she so fucking ugly and it's like oh it's because she's been like hanging with the but devil just, for a while they just
1: call her or they, they call her mother mother Do they just reference her as mother or is she like a demon that they have summoned from the underworld i was never they, like yeah i never thought of it like that she <laughs> could just be a demon from the
0: underworld <laughs> Either way she's there. And she and she <laughs> hops in their little van and they travel across America <laughs> waiting for eclipses.
1: <laughs> Imagine that that buddy comedy. Like <laughs>
2: Oh, you should write it. Yeah, she can't talk even. She's like
1: <laughs> nah, 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 nah.
0: Yeah, she doesn't say words. She just screeches like a like a Fisher cat.
2: Yeah, she is she's a sight to behold and she's wearing a robe and everything. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. They're all wearing robes. They're all they're all in robes. So we get we get this demon mother, we get Mr. Ullman, Mrs. Ullman, and also the son is now, Are they're all in this attic room as she's tied to the ground as demon mother is cascading blood into poor Samantha's mouth by the gallons, and S- Samantha somehow gets a hold of the knife and sl-
1: slashes stabs the the demon mother. Well, you see the one rope is like brittle and when Samantha's yeah. flipping like you do see the rope break and she Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: she gets she gets the knife yeah. Yeah, and stabs yeah. the demon mother and it's like <laughs> And is able to really untie herself and and get the hell out of the attic.
0: This also goes back to how we were joking that this family is just like really bad at what they're doing <laughs> because they like didn't <laughs> properly tie her down and that's <laughs> she just Oh yeah. like they're like bumbling bumbling satanists. <laughs>
2: But it, but my thing was it takes her it doesn't I mean it takes her a few seconds to untie her legs Like they see
1: what she's doing, they don't try.
2: They don't try to stop her. They're just all standing. They're like, "Uh,
1: what are we doing? What is Mr. Fucking Almond going to do? Like, he he could get whisked away in a breeze. You think he's gonna be able to like defend his frail body against like a seventeen-year-old girl who like just ate a hearty meal of pizza? Like, no, he's he's like fragile. He operates via cane.
0: Yeah, he he's definitely not doing anything. Um, (laughs) Yeah." Does, it, yeah, it, yeah, but that's um, the only the only critique I have of this moment is that like it seemingly they just kind of let her untie herself. Um, they let her go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if they're in shock or if they're in a trance or I don't know what's going on, but for some reason it does feel a little too easy.
1: Yeah, it's fair. And like Troy, I actually saw you make a comment to a response of one of our like listeners. Made, they made a comment they like they, they like the movie but they don't love it and they you responded by saying yeah if anything like the final like finale i wish it had a little more oomph um or not even more oomph, but just was a little more i would love a give me 10 more minutes of this i guess there'll be one thing i'd say about this i i basically yeah i know what you talk about i basically and it's it's my
2: it's if it's my biggest gripe with this movie if i have any gripe it's the fact that this this uh this climax Doesn't really live up to the build-up that it, the 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 amount of buildup it took to get there. Uh, The climax seems to me it seems very rushed. It seems at at points lazy, and I hate to say that because this film is so meticulously crafted and put together. But there are points to this where I think, okay, this is just kind of lazy or just like really and like like letting her get away so easily. Uh, was just sort of, I think, just to move the plot along, to move it to the ending of the film, to get there where they they could have done something where it made a little bit more sense. Because like I said, if you watch this film, literally go back and watch this film, it takes her a long time to untie her legs. And you have four adults there watching her. And then she just runs past them. She runs down the stairs. Now the son, Victor, does chase her and eventually catches up to her. And there is a scene where she... I mean, she's... This, this girl was fighting. Like, she's not a she's not a what the fuck was that bitch's name that I'm going to keep bringing up from sorority house. Beth. Beth. It's not a Beth.
1: Every fucking episode. I know. Every episode that we record
2: from this point on is I'm bringing up somehow it's either going to be a pineapple
1: dress or Beth. You know, eventually the actress that played Beth is going to get wind of our fucking podcast. She's going to call us. She's going to call us and she's going to complain. She's going to be pissed. But yeah, no, this, I think one of the, one of the standout aspects of the finale, I mean, to compare and contrast is the fact that this point forward, Samantha isn't is fight and flight. I mean, she gives her all during this finale, and, and she takes a, a beating. I mean, she gets shot, <laughs> she gets impregnated by the de- the devil. Uh, like a lot of shit happens here, but she keeps on trying, and I give her that. Um, I, yeah, I I wish this was longer, just for the sake of I enjoy what they have. I would say maybe if there is any area where this movie had a relatively small budget, and if there's anywhere that I wonder if. They were they were restricted due to budgetary limitations. It's this final finale seance moment. Everything within the basement. Because it's pretty simple. Like, I, I mean, I was saying before, it's right, a by-the-books pentagram virgin sacrifice. It's everything you expect. The demon makeup looks pretty great, though. I will say that.
0: Like, Yeah, she's terrifying. I do think, like, that's the thing about slow burns, right? It's, like, um, you need to earn your slow burn by delivering at the climax. And... Um, that's something we've been thinking about with St. Drogo too is like ours is a slow burn and we really have to execute this climax that we have planned like very well like not fucking around Um, and so I remember when I first saw House of the Devil I did like end up thinking like that felt a little quick Um, so I definitely don't disagree so um, yeah I I do wish like there was maybe more of a struggle of her like getting out of the, the ropes or something maybe like I don't know if someone tried to uh, avenge her first
1: uh, or sooner rather, but, um, but yeah. But on the other side of the coin, and this is actually based off something that you said earlier, Troy is Ty West is very much acknowledged for his finales that are very frantic. And I think part of the reason this finale does move quick is it's not an overly elaborate ending her trying to escape. I mean, at one point she does go up to the attic and everything, but, um, when it comes down to it, she, people are just getting killed and she's on to the next. You know, like, it's not like, there's no nothing left within the house to discover. There's nowhere left to explore. The sole goal is to get out of that house. And I think it's rushed, but it's also brutal. Like, the whole sequence that comes here, she runs up, you know, first of all, she literally, when she gets grabbed by A.J. Bowen, she takes her thumb and like a, a proper damsel
0: yeah.
1: jabs her thumb into his eyeball and she, like, pops his eyeball like good on her man and then she runs up the steps but he enters uh oh and when she runs up the steps she sl- slips in a pool of blood and she comes face to fucking face with megan's dead body which has no face it's just a fucking pit right why did they bring that in the house sacrifice i mean there's a lot of blood
0: <laughs> i i don't know i don't know
2: That's what I was wondering. They they drag it in to leave it on the kitchen floor. I'm like, okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, probably to eventually dispose of it properly and not wanting to leave it out for someone else to find. But I, I mean, as a a, for the story purposes, like we need to have our heroine know that her friend died. Like that's obviously why, like he they wrote it in. But yeah, like why did the bumbling Satanists? Bring the body back in,
2: but there is the point where she he a j bowen catches up with her again and he shoots her he shoots her and without
1: hesitation, he just raises the gun and right to the shoulder like there's not like a moment of dialogue, there's no exposition it's not like a speech before he shoots her. he sees her and he shoots her, and she drops to the floor
0: well that's what I love about just the eye gouging and the shot right like it 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 removes like sort of like there's a a a realness to both those moments because like the eye gouging is like in your flight or flight response i would probably go for the eyes too like that would be the first place i'd go and so and i love the not yeah no dialogue just like shooting her um so i don't know the the while it feels rushed i do think that there's like sort of a visceral like actually consideration of how humans would react in these moments and i think eye gouging and and shooting without some sort of like this conversation is um, I don't know, pretty pretty grisly but pretty real.
1: And and in saying, like, you know, that the movie is such a slow burn, when you hit this point in the movie, it while it is again rushed, it also I think does it some favors in the fact that the tone shifts so drastically, the pacing shifts so drastically, and thus the intention shifts so drastically it becomes like a completely different energy and that does make for the finale to just have a whole different heft to it um that like while i do get troy like what you're saying with some of the people what they have voiced with their issue with this film i don't have that issue i think the payoff exists for me i would like to see a longer segment of it maybe like a director's cut but as it stands i still think it's a great fucking finale because this girl is just doing whatever it fucking takes yeah
2: as he comes because when when he comes to shoot her again she actually slashes his throat with the butcher knife that she has and basically kills him so he's dead and but then she has to encounter mrs ullman who, like, drags her into a room, th- throws her on the floor, and's like, you, f- you bitch, you might as well quit fighting. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. And then she goes and, like, stares out the window for a minute, and she's like, oh, God, please grant me blah, blah, blah. And this is when we see her, like, wig fall off, and that she's bald, like, sporadically bald, and there's just, like, strands of, like, gray hair sticking out of her head randomly. It's, Yeah.
0: It's also such a very it's such an interesting like choice to have her do that right like she's obviously trying to talk talk to her dark lord and like wants wants him to acknowledge her like or answer her and so she makes herself like super vulnerable like like pulls her wig off to and you just see like this like grisly terrifying terrifying woman but um Yeah, to go from like coming up all elegant and wearing her furs to sort of like pulling her wig off and being like please like say something to me dark lord um is i don't know i i love i love that moment
1: yeah her whole demeanor shifts from like there's you know there's two times you see her you have the moment of her with samantha earlier in the movie where she has that confidence like we're talking about and that dominance towards samantha and um overall just her, her how she holds herself how she speaks to her uh there's like an elegance and eloquence to the her dialogue and now when she's well, you know when she chases samantha up into the attic and knocks her down and everything she she's like it's it's done for you you little bitch like she's like gruff and like you know swearing at her and she's speaking with a completely different tongue um and it just kind of goes to show to like the act that she was putting on earlier I think you know and like you said Mikey like yeah and the you know in the eyes of her her lord her dark lord she is com- she is completely willing to strip herself down and just put herself before him um which thus ends up being fatal for her because as she's praying to her dark lord all of a sudden she goes <gasps> <laughs> and Samantha fucking stabs her right in the fucking back as she should as she should yeah so i mean come on these
2: people are not the brightest these are not the brightest fucking Satan worshippers we've ever seen, because why would you turn your back yeah. to a g- girl that you saw just slit your son's throat? So obviously she has no qualms killing to get free.
1: Why would you go s- turn your back to her and stand in a window for five minutes Well, you know she's behind? But one thing to acknowledge with that moment, Troy, is when she gets Samantha on the ground, Samantha starts having that like one of those attacks whatever whatever steps of the ritual have taken place enough of it has occurred that Samantha is starting to basically fall under the effects of it um which include really uh, graphic visions the of the face of the grandmother grandmother demon from downstairs whose face is like progressively mutating more and more as the flashes go on yeah i noticed that there was
0: different shots of like her her face like it felt like and there, i don't know like there was even in the credits, it says, like, blue demon, like, red, and there's different actors for it. So it's interesting that there's, like, other other um, permutations
1: of, of whatever's happening to her. But I'm still not turning my back to her. Oh, I understood, for sure. But there is one moment when when Mrs. Allman has her on the ground that she, she does say, it's going to work in spite of it. Yeah. That. And she puts her hand on her stomach, and this is the first time you really start to get an idea that The whole idea of something inside of her yeah you know after the ritual there's something growing inside of her which actually does end up being the case obviously and and that one specific line from mrs allman it's going to work in spite of you is a very specific line that stands out to me at this point because it is it is the truth it is exactly what happens Um, she does kill mrs allman and she takes off from the house and as she's running Uh, down the driveway, Mr. Allman somehow is still alive. I mean, like, this man (laughs) would not not survive a fatal stabbing, but here he is. He's
0: just so tall.
1: Just so tall. And he pulls the knife from his gut, and there's this moment when you see like all of the blood just pour out by his feet like in like a trail like for some reason that moment really got me it's
0: i also love that she's just like covered in blood and it's giving even though it's like not exactly the same i was getting a lot of carrie vibes like from it like the way she was like holding herself and the way that things were like the the white or formerly white dress was like draped on her uh reminded me a lot of carrie too yeah
1: yeah, a lot of little nods to films of the era. Because also the way the flashes are handled with she's having these demonic attacks are very similar to the way that they cut the the flashes of is uh, Pazuzu in The in Exorcist. Those flashes of the face, it's very similar. It very much feels like a Haman. She
2: But she gets out of the house. She gets out of the house. She runs to the cemetery. <laughs> and Mr. Ullman is right behind her. And, and you get kind of their little final showdown in the cemetery where she is you know adamant that he stay away from her and he's like you know just listen to me just listen to me this was meant to be you know this is this is how it's gonna be you can't really do anything about it so you might as well just accept it and she has a gun and she's pointing at him and he's like she's like you can shoot me but it's not gonna make a difference it's what's done is done and then you get kind of an ending that i wasn't really expecting um I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of a. It doesn't go the route that you think it's going to go.
0: Yeah, I did not expect her to attempt to take her own life. That um was that was very shocking for me when I when I first watched it. I remember, um, and also, I think um, I don't know. It's like very like I don't want to say brave but it's almost like hopeless um for her right at this point because she's believing all these things they're saying like it's like it's gonna work in spite of you um and this is meant to be and it was it's almost like
1: her i don't know she's like she can't fight any longer right well yeah she's continuously having these like flashes and attacks and they're getting progressively worse and everything they're saying at this point i think she's feeling i mean she feels she's gripping her stomach at a certain point she's getting like physically affected by whatever's happening so i think it's becoming clear to her what is going on it's a bummer to me that like she made during this whole final segment of defending herself she made all the right choices including grabbing the gun like how many times have you sat there and said grab the gun grab the gun you know and they don't they don't grab the weapon they don't grab the gun and here you have a girl who does and she's getting away and then the fact that she ends up turning and having to turn it on herself is it's a hard pill to swallow, and I'm not saying it makes the movie any worse. It just makes it, like, this is not a movie with a happy ending. This is not a character that we I ever would have wanted to have seen have a have a finale that is anything but positive for them, and she's having a horrible outcome. She ends up turning the gun on herself, blasting her, you know, shooting herself through the head, and, um, like, this girl, all she wanted was, like, money to pay rent. Like, she is a child. She's a baby. And and you have her in this horrible situation where she's now impregnated with demon like devil spawn. like it really is one of those endings that it is heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy. and I think like it just also comes back to
0: how I was saying that she's always was always positioned against these other characters of being like morally right and like having her head on in the right place and like wanting to work like for the money and not just be given it. and To have her like come to this fate is just more heart-wrenching because like we care about her
1: and we've seen that she's a good person yeah it's a bummer it's a bummer it's a tough pill to swallow but um it does lead to one final scene which is honestly even sadder (laughs) well because she didn't
2: die and uh, to me i'm sorry that headshot that she did to herself looked pretty deadly to me i mean you see the bullet come out the other side of her head like you see her, put it to her temple, pull the trigger, and you see it come out the other side. So how yeah. she's alive, unless it's part of the whole devil being inside her that she is she's 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 living as a vessel for this baby, that is the only thing I can think of because there's no way she survived that gunshot, all right, but she's in the hospital, she's all bandaged up, and basically the the nurse comes in and it's like, "Oh, you poor thing, but you're gonna be okay." Both of you, and then she pats her stomach, and the fucking
1: credits start to run. Oh, my God. But this this is why I said a little bit earlier the one line really is prominent to me, and in this moment especially, it's prominent to me. Because I was thinking the same thing, Troy. You see, when she shoots herself in the head, you get the full, like, her hair blows on the other side. Like, it went through her brain. I'm sorry. She should die. But, as Mrs. Ullman said right before she was stabbed in the back, it's going to work in spite of you. I do feel that there, that her surviving this gunshot is not any twist of fate. It is it is for a reason. And, I mean, she, poor girl's probably going to be a vegetable for, through the whole process, but she's delivering that fucking baby. <laughs> like, that baby's going to survive this. The devil will make sure of it, and then she'll, she'll probably die immediately after. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what a... F- note to end the movie on, you know? Whew.
2: Yeah, it's not the happiest of endings we've seen by far. It's pretty bleak because you like this character so much. If this character wasn't so damn likable, if it was anybody else but this character, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sucks. But I wouldn't really stick with me as much as it it does because this character is so likable and portrayed so well but you
1: feel something at the end of it like you feel mad that yeah. she is in the situation and i think if you're going to feel upset about that that means that they did do something right in making sure that that character was fucking likable because yeah she was a great character i'm bummed that that happened to her that's good storytelling to make me feel that way about a fictional character like it's a it's a sad finale but it's a fucking effective one and the credits
2: are very much in vein of the opening credits where it's just very 70s style. You get the credits rolling over like the freeze frame of her laying in bed, which was a very 70s, 80s type of thing to do. And that that's the film ends. That's the house of the devil. It's an hour and 28 minutes long.
1: Of pure suspense. Of pure
2: suspense. There is that, min, that, that part of the film, like I said, that I pointed out that I think maybe a lot loses some people, but... I, I still think it's a, a very it's a brilliant
1: film. Yeah. And uh, Mikey, thank you for thank you for picking it. Uh, we appreciate it. I've been waiting to analyze that one. But I have a list of like 40 titles. And I'm always like, oh, which one do I want to pick this week? And I always have, like put I've put it off. But like, I think it was the right uh, the right group of people to talk about it with. Um, And I love knowing that you love that film, too. And that totally makes sense. And Thank you for joining us on this episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, super. It's just, yeah, it's it's a film that uh,
0: over time I realized has definitely like inspired a lot of my writing and how um, how I look at pacing and how I look at like suspense and and it was also inspiring in the sense that it was like, obviously it still had a lot of money in retrospect to how much money we had, but it was still very economical and, it, and it, they accomplished a lot with... By film standards, normally is a very little, right? I think it was made under a million, um, which is pretty much unheard of. So, yeah, I think I think up and coming and like inspire inspiring filmmakers, young filmmakers that like want to to execute a horror movie should definitely watch House of the Devil.
1: Oh fuck yeah, I mean, like, if this is an inspiration and go out and do it on a small scale, on a small budget, and uh, that you can be successful in doing. Such, I mean, like I can't think of a better example. This this movie really proves what you can do with a few, like a, a small amount of quality locations, a small yet talented cast, and a great script. And you don't need a lot more than that to pull it off. You just know need to know how to execute suspense. No, I would say this this
2: film, like yeah, for aspiring filmmakers, if if I were to list like two films that I think you should check out to kind of get an idea of how to build suspense and and whatnot. It would be this one paired with Session Nine.
0: Oh yeah, also a new England, also a New England yeah. movie. Connecticut,
2: right? Danvers, uh, is it Connecticut? I think
0: that's Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Um, yeah, yeah. Ma- uh, Danvers, Massachusetts. It's a very.
2: That's another slow burn that mm-hmm. is, it uses its uh, location very effectively. You have a very tiny cast. It's very similar to this film. So I would say, you know, House of the Devil, uh, Session 9, pair those together to learn how to build suspense, how to work with uh, limited budget, limited location, limited resources, because the, the film's pulled off great. But yeah, I'm so glad I got to watch this again. It'd been a while. Uh, it's a great film. And, you know, we, we it's hard to top this film, Roger, but I think we're we're doing it for our next episode.
0: Sweet. I
2: think we found the film... Absolutely! Oh, I know what it is. Are we telling them what it is? We are going to tell them what it is. Okay, let's let's hear it. (laughs) It is the uh, masterpiece of indie horror. It's the two thousand slasher flick,
1: Bloody Murder. Oh! (laughs) Iconic. Good
3: choice.
1: (laughs) Followed by a significantly better sequel, Bloody Murder Two, which we are not covering next week. We're only covering Bloody Murder.
3: But
2: we needed something. We we did, you know, we did, uh, what did we do last week? I totally
1: forgot. Silent Hill.
2: Silent Hill. Okay, mm. see, we're doing, th- we're just churning these episodes out. I can't even remember what we're doing. We did Silent Hill and, yeah, and this. So we needed something a little bit lighthearted and, and just
1: not, and fluff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And
2: b- bloody murder is just ridiculous. So we're going to have fun with that.
1: And I do just want to say, speaking of aspiring filmmakers, um, I, I don't know if he's going to announce it, so I'm going to announce it for him. Troy has an Indiegogo dropping very soon. By very soon, I mean tomorrow. Correct for us tomorrow. Well, when this drop will mean, be for out us already tomorrow. But who knows when this will be? Yeah, it'll be. It'll be out. Check yeah, it out. Yeah, so Troy is launching the Indiegogo for his next feature film endeavor, Hollow Lake. So all you guys need to get on board that and support him because, uh, one from one indie filmmaker to another, it's tough. Mikey, I know you get that as well. It is tough, yeah. Mikey, I want to give you one more chance to kind of just rattle off like your social medias and everything and what sites and what apps and all, uh, what different uh, platforms they can support you or follow you or, you know, watch your film. Uh, Give it to them one more time so they don't forget
0: yeah death drop gorgeous is pretty easy to find on social media uh we're on instagram facebook and twitter uh if you just search death drop gorgeous you'll find us it's the bright pink one um and you can watch death drop gorgeous on itunes amazon google play voodoo all that good stuff Uh, if you want to follow the progress of saint drogo we're also on facebook and instagram with that and then we started our own little uh, production company called Monster Makeup Productions, which is also on the same social media. So uh, we'll be doing features, but we also do, we're, we've been doing like music videos for local musicians and some other fun, probably some local events once like COVID is actually officially over. So yeah. Yeah. So ch- check it out
1: for sure. Oh, yeah, man. Awesome. Everybody follow them and say you follow them. Before they became really famous, because I'm I'm convinced Grab of Gorgeous is getting the kind of love and attention it's getting now. Whatever you guys have come after this is just going to get bigger for you. So it's exciting to know you guys uh, back when, <laughs> and and support you through this uh, process because I think you guys have a lot of really awesome things coming. Oh, thank you. And I definitely wish you the best. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah,
0: it's very. Ex- what's been most exciting and like it, you guys are a part of this is like getting to meet other queer filmmakers and folks that are just like so welcoming and so encouraging. So thank you for having me and thank you for doing what you're doing. Like it's, it's nice to to be a part of this sort of like, well, it feels like a little, little weird, little community of, of 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 queers that love horror. So yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing.
2: It is. It's a very much a community. It's so weird, but it's cool.
1: <laughs> Everyone I know is weird, but they're also fucking kick ass. So uh, I'm weird. I blend well with weird people. <laughs> but yeah, man. Seriously, we're we're excited for you and everybody. Go check out their film. Go follow his um uh, his social media profiles. Make sure to support Troy in these next few coming weeks. And I also have um, my film Rebirth is officially hitting pre-order for physical release on DVD and Blu-ray this weekend, this Sunday. We literally just announced it at midnight yesterday. So um, this is brand new news, but you can get yourself a hard one of Rebirth. So uh, yeah, physical release is coming. So lots of exciting news for all of us. This is great. Yes, absolutely yeah seriously and on that note next week guys we're going to be discussing bloody murder
2: <laughs> oh i can't wait for that one all right well, you all have a great evening
1: and yeah until next week until next week thank you mikey we appreciate it thank you thank you good night, good night gentlemen bye